he basically told me that, well, you know, this is, uh, you know, you're outnumbered. And I'm like, well, I, I guess there's only one way to find out. Yeah. Mm. You know, it was ba- basically a, you know, I'm your Huckleberry moment. And even though that I was pucker factor was pay. I was gonna I was gonna say, right? I, What's going I, on in the drawers at this time? I learned I learned at that moment. I'm over here already. <laughs> I know, I'm just listening. Welcome back to the Darren Witchy Show. Today's guest, my man, Jake Schick, the CEO of 22 Kill, good friend of mine. Uh, damn, Jake, how long have we known each other now? Oh, man, I don't know. That's m- more than a minute. More than a minute. Yeah. yeah. You didn't appreciate all those minutes? Huh? Is that what you're trying to say? Like, you can't remember <laughs> a damn thing? There, might, I mean, there, there could be a time or two in there where, yeah, I mean, the frustration was above average. <laughs> <laughs> We're interviewing Jake Schick today along with Tyler Kluss, my buddy here, and Ben Gibbs. Uh, another partner that uh, we, hey man, we want to get into the story. I know I'm losing my voice, so Tyler and Ben are going to carry us through this today. But, you know, I, I wanted you to get on, come on this show because we always talk about the journey. Mm-hmm. And we, that's, that's our model. That's what, what, that's what we want to build this show around the Darren Witchin show is the entire journey. And I, knowing your journey personally, I feel like this is the one we need to share with the world, man, because your your journey, man, has just been incredible. And, hmm. and the faith in yourself and belief in self has been, you know, inspirational to myself and everyone else, man. So let's start, man. Let's go back. Yeah. Let's go back to you're from Capel. You went to Capel High School, played football. Let's go back to Capel High School. Let's go back to when you were growing up as a child, man. Any All brothers, right. sisters? Yep, yep. I got uh, two brothers and a, a sister, uh, some of which I associate with, some I don't. You know, you get it because it's a, it's a toxicity thing, right? Mm-hmm. And you learn as you go, you know, who's, who's feeding the soul and who's bleeding the soul. And then you make the correct left and right lateral adjustments that's best for your everyday life and your well-being. And you move forward and... It is what it is. I mean, that's why when people say, like, oh, your blood's thicker than water, you can't pick your family, you can pick your friends, and I'm like, hold my salad and watch this. <laughs> yeah, you can. Hold my watch salad. me. <laughs> but, yeah, I grew up in Louisiana, and oh. um, Shreveport, Bossier area, and, and I ended up coming here around the age of 12 when I moved to Capel, and um, that's where I developed as an athlete, mainly as a football player, and I've, you know, I've always loved the sport, and um, there was something about the team dynamic. You know, with it not being all about you, that really helped me and, and mold me in leadership skills and the, the aspects of leadership. And um, and I loved it. I just I love the competitiveness. I think that healthy competition is good for everybody. Yeah, and I think it's really what pushes us and drives us to do things that are bigger than we'll ever be. And so that carried over in Capel, and then. Uh, of course, because of uh, what Texas football is in Texas, I, I mean, I wasn't a great student, but you wouldn't know it. I would. I would have guessed that, but yeah. I'm just saying, this is me. doesn't reflect on the paperwork, that's <laughs> right, what right, I'm saying. Right. 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 As, as long as you keep you on the, the field. We wouldn't, yeah. We yep. wouldn't want to get into details on that. No, no, no. <laughs> Capel is a first-class facility. They do a good job over there. Capel High School, you're awesome. So, okay, so so senior year, you were, you were team captain of mm-hmm. your team. Uh, talk through that, the brotherhood there, you know, you know, and how that launched you into, you know, what? 
what's next, which is you know the meat of your journey. Uh, absolutely, it was uh, you know look, being voted a, a captain amongst your peers was a big deal for me because I really this would carry over the rest of my life too. I, I learned at a young age I care a lot more what my teammates think about me than what my coaches do, mm. and because I. I learned early on that you know without a high morale you're you're going to be limited in what you can accomplish. You know you have to have that cohesive mindset. You got to have that brotherhood family oriented mindset on whatever field to play you're on or in, in whatever situation you're in and so that that um that was a big deal for me. I mean I remember that day very well actually during uh, two days when when it was mentioned and uh you know, I remember me and the other captains got around, and it was uh, you know, we said a prayer and said, "All right, well, let's hope we don't mess this up too much." And it was uh, it was a great it was a great day because it was something where you know, that was it solidified my peers' respect who I am yeah. and my drive and what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So whatever I'm doing on the field, I need to keep on doing. Mm-hmm. And so that was a big deal, and, and yeah, absolutely carried over into my Marine Corps career for mm-hmm. sure. I yeah. mean, so you, your senior year of high school, you enlisted as a reserve. Is that correct? I did. So at the uh, beginning of my senior year, because I was already 18, is when I went mm-hmm. and signed up. And um, so is that something you knew, like early on, like this is what I want to do? I want to serve. I want to. Age eight years old, I decided. Wow. Oh, I'm wow. going to be a Marine. What, wow. what age? Eight. Let yeah. me ask you this. Going back to eight years old, I don't, I don't want to get off script here, but going back that far, did you know that you were different? Though, like, I mean, cause I, I, I can remember being that age and knowing that I wasn't like the normal kid. I didn't think like the normal kid. I expected a lot more. And I've always, similar to you, you've always been a leader and a captain. I've been the yeah. son. Did you know you were different back then? So, interesting question, you know, because I, I, I get in these debates with uh, – <laughs> people very close to me about, you know, do you feel like you're born special or right. different? or, And I think for me personally, the jury's still out. I, I don't know. I don't know if there's any special genome or if there's, you know, God gift, gifted or et cetera, et cetera. I don't know yet. And so I'm not going to give an opinion one way or the other. Mm-hmm. I think time will tell. But I also think that there's some answers we're just not supposed to have. I think mm-hmm. that's by design. You know, yeah. I think we're not supposed to have all the answers because then what's the point of living? Right. Yeah. But, um, you know, early on, I remember being five years old. And my I was really close to my grandma in Louisiana, and, and, and my dad, my dad's mother, and she's the wife of, or the, you know, the time the widow of the first generation Marine of my family, who's my grandfather who fought on Iwo Jima and uh, World War II, the Island Hopi campaign, lived, survived, and uh, my uncle, <clears throat> who's second generation, my dad's older brother, middle brother, and uh, he's Vietnam era. But I remember my my grandmother taking me over to Red's house, and that was his nickname in the neighborhood, Red. And he was a combat photographer in World War II. And he set me down on his lap, and we were looking at his pictures, uh, some of the pictures he took from a concentration camp that had been liberated. Mm. And you just see the stacks of the emaciated bodies. Mm. And I'm I'm five years old looking at this stuff, and I remember thinking to myself then, like, okay, I need to do something in my life to help make sure – this doesn't happen again. Right. I've got to do something that that can ultimately play a hand in leaving this spinning ball of chaos better than I found it. Yeah, yeah. and that just evolved into again, age eight. I knew that you know if I, the avenue for me to do in keeping with family lineage 
is by becoming a United States Marine. So that's when I was really convicted that that's what I was going to do. I didn't talk about it. I didn't tell anybody. Mm-hmm. I just did it. And right. that carried over to my senior year. So obviously there's you know Marine blood in your family. But I feel like choosing to be a Marine, it takes a different type yes. of person as well, right? It takes it, and Darren talks about this a lot, right? Being a dog. Like there's mm-hmm. there's some dog that it takes to like say, hey, I'm going to be a Marine because like that is the most dangerous entry into battle is being a Marine. And so what do you think it was in your younger life that said, hey, I'm going to be a Marine. That's what I choose. I, I don't want to be an Air Force pilot. I don't want to be in the Navy. I don't want, I want to be a Marine. What do you think that was early on for you? So I, I think it, a lot of it was learning about the lineage of my family and some of the battles my grandfather was in, particularly Iwo Jima, knowing that, okay, if I'm going to do it, I, I need to do it all the way. I don't need to do – I don't need to half-step it. I don't need to find take the easy route. And that was never me anyway. I'm, you know, I was always the one that you know, I'm going to put in the work, you know, because at some point hard work and, and dedication and conviction will supersede – God-given talent. Right. That's my favorite quote right there. Literally, hard work will always outlast talent that doesn't work hard. It's true. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so I I, I knew that if I was going to do it, I'm going to do it the right way. I'm going to do it the way that honors the family members that went before me, honors the men and women that went before me. And not only that, but it's going to honor the ones that come after me. Mm -hmm. And so that's, uh, yeah, I mean, I I remember going to my recruiter's office, and uh, he was a firefighter in the Marine Corps, and, and he said, all right, Jake, well, you know, you did well enough on the ASVAB. These are all the jobs you have to choose from. You have three lines, and I just wrote infantry, infantry, infantry. And he mm. said, well, you can't. And then he put paper in the shredder, and he was like, you can't you can't write infantry three times. He gave me another paper. He said, you have to pick three different MOSs, military yeah, right. occupation specialties. And I said, all right. And I just went infantry, 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 <laughs> and gave it back to him. And he goes, Okay, clearly this, we need to double check these scores. <laughs> he said, "Clearly, this is going to be an ongoing thing." And yeah. seeing that we work for the government, I'm not going to keep wasting paper. So, are you going to just con- continue to write? And I said, "Yes." Yeah. I'm not. Mm. It's infantry or, or it's nothing. Yeah. You make this decision. You're by yourself, and you make this decision. Yeah, I went up there uh, by myself, and. Um, and then actually a buddy of mine that that ended up joining with me who, who we played football together at the Marine Corps or at uh, Coppell before we went to the Marine Corps. He came afterwards and uh, he wouldn't go after you. But I mean, I, I tried like hell to talk him into it. Right. He wouldn't do it. And you know, to each his own. That, I mean, that's fine. Service is service is service. Mm-hmm. And you know, it doesn't matter to me what your MOS was. All right. So you so you you go. Are you leaving right? At- what, 18 years old now? So I was, <clears throat> I was due to ship in December of 01. And so this was 2001 when I graduated. Yeah, so obviously this late pre, 2001. Pre-9-11. Yes. Okay, yeah. so 2000. So December 2000. Yeah, no, December 2001. So, But I was already signed up, signed, sealed, delivered. Oh, before, before 9-11. Gotcha. Okay, okay. And I remember when that went down, um, when 9-11 went down, I remember watching the second plane hit the South Tower, and I was actually with my buddy that joined with me, and um, and I looked at him, I said, we're going to war. Yeah. I was 19 at the time, yeah. and, um, <clears throat> you know, he was, it was a very sobering moment, because being that young, and, and you all know this, I mean, all the listeners know this, doesn't matter, male or female, doesn't matter. At 19, mm-hmm. like, you feel like you, you pretty much have life figured out. Yeah. Yeah. When in all actually, you don't know crap. Nothing. Right. right. <laughs> and it was amazing how much, how, how much humility and, 
how much you we were it just hit me so very hard that okay this is this is no joke this is the real deal and i remember my recruiter called he said hey jake you know you're you're a uh, you're a combat billet you're going to be shipping quick because mm. we know we're going to war and if you're a combat billet you're going to be shipping out and i ended up going um it was two or three weeks later i ended up going to mcrd san diego marine corps recruit depot mm. san diego mm. and um you know that was it was interesting because before I went, I called my uncle, who's a second generation Marine in my family, and I said, "Hey, you know, Uncle Jack, I'm uh, just got off the phone with my recruiter, and and I'm getting I'm shipping early, and you know, what do I need to know?" And uh, this is exactly how the conversation was. So, what do I need to know? And he said, "Be loud, be fast, and don't volunteer for anything." And he hung up the phone. <laughs> and I knew better than to call him back because, it, but when he hung up, I was like, "I have so many questions that are just yeah. going to remain unanswered." Mm. And but he's right. I mean, it's be loud, be fast, don't volunteer for anything. And uh, so, yeah, and now you know you have to explain that to us. Yeah. So here's the thing: if you're gonna, if you want to be United States Marine, <clears throat> you better be very vocal all the time, and you better move with a purpose all the time. And you never raise your hand when they say, "Okay, hey, I need five bodies." To you don't know what they need five bodies for. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know, and so it, it, and usually you don't get the luxury of asking questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what, what is this particular evolution for? You're not going to ask that question because there's someone all the time very ready to hand your ass to you in the Marine Corps. Right. Just give us a reason. <laughs> like that's the, the the saying. You know, we have more mind games than Milton Bradley, and it right. is so true. And I learned that in boot camp, man. It was it was an ongoing evolution of mind games that. It's not for me. It's not. Of course, it's physically challenging, mm-hmm. but the mental aspect is mm-hmm. really the demanding part. That that pushes you, and I think that's in life. Period. Yeah. Right. How much can you take emotionally? Yeah. How much can you take mentally? Yeah. I mean, how do you how do you prepare a young man or young young woman to go from civilian life in a matter of six to eight weeks, depending on I, how long was you were you Marine Corps boot camps thirteen weeks. Okay, so thir- okay, so thirteen weeks. How do you make that mental transition from civilian life to okay now I'm going overseas and I'm going to war? I mean that's I mean I can't imagine the yeah. intense mind games that exactly. it takes to sh- make that shift <clears throat> yeah. to be able to go over there and say okay I'm going to defend my brothers and I'm going to take a life if I have to. Well, for me, I had a so I had a clear advantage, um, and I and I learned this early on. I mean, the first first of all, I remember you know flying into San Diego. I'm sure we've all been to San Diego. Yeah. You can see the airport yeah. or, or you see the the, the depot yeah. right there. Yep. Yeah, the bus ride took like three hours. What? Yeah, <laughs> it's right there. That's what I thought, and I was like, okay. So and you were Pendleton, clearly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I was like, cl- north, clearly but... the games have already started. Right. <laughs> I yeah. mean, they're messing with you. Just once point. again, you know, had a hood on, and had a had a a bag over his head. Yeah, yeah. it was like, okay, you know, here we go. But uh, you know, for me, I had a, a clear advantage because I remember we got off the bus, and I, you know, this giant human being get on the bus and politely ask us to get off of his bus. <laughs> and um, that's not really how it went. <laughs> yeah. Politely asked, <laughs> right. politely. Boo, get off the bus. And I remember standing on the yellow footprints, infamous or famous however you want to look at it and uh to me very famous yellow footprints and i had this clear advantage of i wonder if my grandfather stood on these same footprints mm-hmm. you know and it, i knew that i'm going to earn this title no matter what the only way i don't earn the eagle globe and anchor and the title of united states marines death so I either go home with this with this ega and this title or i go home in a box those were my two options mm. and i had that clear mindset 
from day one that carried over throughout my Marine Corps career. And, and I was very fortunate to have that because there's a lot of, like I said, the mental part of it is what gets you. Physically, they're going to get you where they need you. How many people would you say that, that go into enlist and then show up at, at basic training um, are on the fence? Like, that are like, man, this is what I think that I'm supposed to do, but I'm really not sure. Do those people get weeded out pretty quick? Or is yeah. everybody that's there like, hey, they're all in? No. There, okay, there's some people that get there and it's like, man, your recruiter screwed you. Yeah. Like, because you should not be here. Mm. And it's very apparent very quickly who a lot of those people are. And these drill instructors have this innate ability to pick you out. Mm. And once you have a target on you, that's it. They are very specialized in, in. getting the people out that don't belong there. Now, of course, some slip through the cracks. Every group has its 10%. But they, it's it's pretty well known pretty quickly the ones that shouldn't be there. So, okay, so and, I'm, and, I, and I can only think about this from a football perspective, but you go on a training camp, right? And you want to make sure that the guys that I line up on game day Sunday are the guys that have my back that are going to, you know, we're going to win this game. It is a whole nother level for you guys. So when does that team form? When do you say, okay, hey, now that's my brother? Because there's people there you're like, I don't want that guy covering my back when we go to battle. Like, that's not the guy. So what point in basic training or after basic training are you like, okay, I can trust this guy? Or is there still those questions sometimes yeah. when you go? So it's really it's really dependent upon – so shortly after we got picked up and went through what's called Black Friday, I became a, the first squad squad leader. And mm-hmm. so with the last name, like Schick, it was interesting because our, my, our guide's name was Schmitter. So I'll let you do two and two <laughs> what we had to answer to for 13 weeks. But it was, you know, I, <clears throat> the thing was is, it, you know, for me, I was the type of squad leader, though, that, I'm, I mean, every time someone in your squad messes up, you get punished with whoever that person is. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm getting, you know, Squad leaders are getting smoked all day, every day. Yeah. Because it's human element of free will. People just mess up. And so uh, I think during boot camp, there's a couple, I could definitely name a couple names of guys that I was like, there's no way in hell. Like, it would be, as soon as we got off the bird, it'd be combat loss if you end up next to me Mm, in a combat environment. Right. Mm. Because it's just so plain to see there's some people that just don't belong in that environment. Not to say they don't belong in the military. Yeah. But uh, you know, maybe combat's not their thing. You yeah. know, and that, I mean, hell, that some people show their true colors once they get to combat. I yeah. mean, and that's, and I'm not saying it's wrong. Mm. Right. I'm not saying it's not okay. But you know, war is hell, and it's mm. uh, it's unforgiving, but it's necessary. Right. And I mean, it's just it, it's one of those things that you have to be focused on. Okay, well, we're not doing this just to do it. We're not doing the same thing a thousand times just to do it. We're doing yeah. this to create muscle memory, but to help us react without having to implement thought. Mm. So you're at Pendleton, and is there a break before you get deployed? Is there a break in between? Do you go home for a minute? or? Yeah, so I got done with with boot camp, and uh, it was interesting with before I left because my dad was – my dad's the executive banker, and he he learned about me going to the Marine Corps at my high school graduation when he met my recruiter, and it didn't go over well. And it was he was upset about it, and I didn't understand why. And you know, come later, uh, of course, I, I learned that he saw what it does, what combat and right. 
And these these gnarly environments can do to a human mind because he was raised by his father and his older brother, and it was um, it was it was confusing to me, but I appreciated it because it just made me want to be a marine all that much more. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like okay, well if you if you have a problem with it, I'm definitely going to do it all the way now. Mm. Right? Yeah. You know, it just yeah, it, especially it, as an 18 year old. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you have yeah. that. Okay, well, you know, I'll show you. Yeah. And um, but I remember during graduation, he, he walked right by me on the parade deck, and uh, he didn't even look at me, and he tossed me a can of Copenhagen long cut, and he said, "Good job, let's go eat." That was it. Wow. And I was like, okay, you're still pissed. I get it. <laughs> All right. But but I remember that night we were at the we were at the hotel and I was with my dad, my older brother, and um my older brother was having some adult beverages and started messing with me, like poking the bear and pushing the boundaries and, and he was like, Oh, you know, you're a big bad marine now and blah 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 and uh I remember my dad going, leave him alone, Bubba, leave him alone. And, and my brother kept poking at me. But then he included, like, all the Marine Corps. Yeah. Uh, attack me. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. And, th- and then I it was I put him in a human pretzel and half a heartbeat. <laughs> and he was going, dad, dad. I, was, I told you, I'm not doing anything. Didn't move off his bed. And it was funny because it was like my brother needing – Confirmation and affirmation that the this is they they are what they yes, say they, they are. are yeah yeah and but it was one of those moments where it was like okay you know it's we've proven the point now let's move forward mm-hmm. and that was before between boot camp and your military occupation specialty school or training you get ten days leave so I came back to Capel and uh, before I went back to Pendleton to, to go through school of infantry training which. Yeah, I loved. I love the school of infantry training because you, you got to. That's when you get to play with all the big toys, mm-hmm. and you really get to understand w- the strategy behind a wartime environment. Mm-hmm. And well, they've got like replicas of like. Well, at least they did this. I don't know if they had it when you did, but we went in two thousand. 14 and saw the whole setup, the city that they built yeah. and going through the explosions and, yeah. you know, uh, I mean, obviously fake fire, but like it really felt real. And I mean, there's a whole Cowboys team standing there watching this whole scenario go yeah. down. And literally, I mean, you see like 70 grown men just terrified. Right. And it's just a simulation. Like and imagine, but it was really good for us to see because it's like, holy smokes, these these men and women, this is what they live in real life and not an actual live fire. Mm-hmm. But okay, it's so, called Mount Town. Okay, is, yeah. yeah. Is that particular phase as um, cutthroat, if you will, as the, as the first phase, or is that a little bit more technical? Um, not not trying to weed people out as yeah, much. Yeah, no. School of Infantry is nothing like boot camp. Boot camp is more of the, you know, where are we going to get? You know, that's the we're weeding you out if you don't belong, right. mm. you know, because it's a it's a pretty demanding gun club to be a part of, and and again, I mean, the Marine Corps, it's any other branch, whether it's tier one or not, cannot refute that if there's a reason that we're undefeated, yeah, because mm. our tradition and tactics and training hasn't changed since 1775. That's why when it absolutely positively needs to be destroyed overnight, they they call the Marines. I mean, if you want to if you want to take a, one person or you need to take out one target, yeah, send in the SILs. If you need to take out the city, send in the Marines. Mm-hmm. And the, everyone every every operation we have in this country, when it comes to military or black ops, is it's very specialized. You have units that uh, that are specialized for that particular task mm-hmm. and. The the reason that we are who we are is because 
you know, and the reason I'll die a United States Marine is because of our tradition. Mm. It's something that we don't mess with a lot. And I think that that in our in our success and you know our our victory record speaks to that. Yeah, I think if it's not broken, don't fix it. Yeah, we say seventeen what seventy seventeen seventy five. Yeah, started uh, started in a bar, <laughs> Tun Tavern. Like the model of consistency, you know this. Yeah. this is what you're going to do, and this is the reason you win. Yeah, look, you don't join you don't join the Marine Corps to have options. Right. And, the, and the thing is, is, it's just like being a successful athlete. You have to be coachable. Doesn't mean you can't be. You can't have some stubbornness and be hard headed. You're going to have to be. You're going to have to have some thick skin. You know. But it's for the same reasons that I miss the Marine Corps every day. Is the same reasons that professional athletes miss their field of play every day, which is not really the field of play. They miss more the locker room. They miss yeah. the camaraderie, Definitely. the brotherhood. 100%. And I've spoken to too many professional teams to think any other way. And, yeah. I mean, we've had conversations about it. Absolutely. You, it's something that is very, very hard to re- replicate in the civilian sector. Mm. And that's why it's uh, – I, I wouldn't change any part of any of it. I and mean, it was – Going through a school of infantry, it, 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 to answer your question, very much more technical. You're really learning the ins and outs of a combat environment, but you don't know really what it's like until you get there. Now, that said, going through the training in Mount Town and stuff like that, until you've been shot by a sim round, you know that it's it makes it real because you know mm-hmm. it's not a laser like you feel it, <laughs> and you know like all right, I just got shot. I'm mm-hmm. I, you know either I'm wounded or I'm dead, but. God forbid, worst case, I get somebody in my left or my right killed. Right. That's the biggest fear. Yeah, you know, and that's that's that going through that training and doing that same thing is just like being an athlete. You are developing muscle memory mm-hmm. to be able to react to any mm-hmm. given situation without utilizing thought. Yeah. Okay. So I want I want to go back. You just went over something pretty quickly, and I want to I want to make sure we spend a second on it. Is your biggest fear is the guy to your left or right? For sure. Like and worried about them more than you're worried about yourself, and I think that leads on and as we get going and, and what you're doing now, and mm. more worried about other people. Um, but what is that that the Marine Corps does that is so? And I wouldn't say you know the military as a whole, right? Like I think that's what they try to instill. But like the Marine Corps more so than any other division of mm. the military is so focused on their brothers as opposed to themselves. Is that part of the training? Absolutely. Is it? Do you feel like? It's the right kind of person that uh, I, I think. I think again. I, it, it looking back at my training, it takes you back to day one boot camp, learning about the history of the Marine Corps, learning about the. the you know, we have to study about all the battles. Like I remember taking tests in boot camp and having to study for them. I'm like, what the hell? Like I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like I'm, I'm having to study this book that they give you because it's referred to as your knowledge. Uh-huh. Study your knowledge, and I'm just like. God, what? Do I need to know about a battle in 1868 to, yeah. to pull a trigger? Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. like, mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah, you do because it plays into the entire psyche of the onus and the warrior ethos of being a United States Marine. And that's why it's so vital because you have to respect your tradition in order to be able to carry it forward. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where it all starts. Yeah. I mean, and that's, I think that's what makes the Marine Corps so very, very successful. I mean, you can ask anybody. Uh, I mean, I have a lot of friends that are Navy SEALs and Green Berets. Uh, you can ask them collectively what's the most effective fighting force in the world, and they'll tell you all, 100% of the time, unless they're lying or stupid or both, it's the United <laughs> States Marine Corps. Yeah. Was there anybody, you're at Camp, in Camp Pendleton, right? Mm-hmm. There's someone there that changed you or thought you thought that was really someone that was there that you, you could lean on and gave you some guidance? 
For sure. And also, <clears throat> also had the antithesis of that, too. Uh, and I've spoken publicly about it. I, there's this one specific journal structure that I had that, um, I mean, if I saw him walking down the street, there would be no words exchanged. <laughs> it was a brawl. I would I immediately just, I'd walk up to him and it would, I, I would just, it would be my fist talking. Mm-hmm. Right. There's one guy, and I stand by that. I mean, because I don't know why he had it out for me, because he couldn't break me mentally, and it drove him nuts. And so I had this target on me, even though I was a squad leader. And um, I remember you're you know, not gonna say his name. Man. You're just gonna leave it like that. Yeah, McDonough. That's his <laughs> McDonough. name. Just ask so where, wherever you are, bud, whenever you're ready. <laughs> if you're listening, um, McDonough. But he's. Uh, but at the same time, you know, because of him, yeah, there was a lot of lessons learned, a lot of things that carried forward. I carried forward in, in my life that really helped too. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean I wouldn't fight him. Just because I tell you I love you doesn't mean I won't fight you. That's <laughs> yeah, right. one of the things where you just have to be honest. Yeah. And but yeah, there man, there's a multitude of not only instructors, uh, but or recruits, but Marines in the School of Infantry that you, I just knew. Like these guys, no matter what, have my back, and you knew it. Mm-hmm. You know, because you start to get liberty on school of uh, in school of infantry. And I remember the first thing they, the first safety brief we had, uh, the first day we get there is, look, do not go to TJ, do not go to Tijuana. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, when you first tell, weekend off, opposite. we're driving to the border and we're walking <laughs> we rented, across. We rented a van. <laughs> oh, you drove in? Hell yeah! Because <laughs> we were like Club Safari. Was that stop number one for I'll you? I'll see your boundary <laughs> and I'll raise you. <laughs> like, yeah, that's exactly what it was. I can't believe they let us back in the United States. Uh, oh but my gosh! It was. It, but it's those things that not only the training. But the the environments on the weekends and when you have time off and it's yeah. the, it's so similar to team athletics that yeah. you you grow this bond that has so much more to do with whatever your specific job is yeah. for your profession yeah and that's where that's where the camaraderie and the brotherhood's built mm. of course it's on the field in this high intensity environment and it's uh, for the most part controlled chaos. But it's really off the field when you get in, when you get to drop the warrior bravado, you know, mm. you get to drop the tough guy exterior yeah. and you can have that soul to soul connection. Yeah. And then you can realize the humanity of, of every person you're really dealing with. That's where the connection comes from. And and it's, that, the that's what you. it's the shit talking. Of yeah. course. Yeah. That's what yeah. makes you. Yeah. I mean, I mean, just dudes being dudes. Every branch. That's what was beautiful about it in, in the military was that if we're back at garrison, meaning if you're back at home, a home base. You know, you run across another branch, another MOS. Like, I mean, anyone who's not a grunt in the Marine Corps is referred to as a pogue or personnel other than grunt. <laughs> and, you know, you call like candy pogey bait. And it's like you get to you get to do the shit slinging. Right. You know? Yeah. yeah. But it was interesting because as soon as we got, got over well, across the pond and it was in – in these gnarly environments, all of that went out the window. Mm. Oh wow! It was all hey, look, this is it's all the same same tribe. Mm. Yeah. Everyone mm. on the same tribe. Yeah. One tribe, one fight. That's right? it. And then as yeah. soon as you get back home, you're back at it. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a right back to That's the awesome. Hey Air Force or right. oh, you know what, how many papers did you file today? Your fingers must be exhausted. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, or it's the it's the same old. But it was interesting to see the immediate. Mm. Change and transition. I mean, as soon as we got off the bird, mm. and it was. Um, let's talk about that. Yeah. It was all inspired. Let's, let's talk about that. Yeah. So you you leave. So, yeah. Okay. So yeah. Two thousand. It was two thousand four. Two thousand four. We started our work up in two thousand. Uh, 
Four, yeah, actually, okay. it was early 2004. We did our work up at 29 Palms, California. Okay. And that's where we got – we were already a very tight-knit unit, mm. but that's where we got – very, very, like, very tight. So, yeah, talk about that. Talk about the mentality because I, I, I want to be very clear when I make any type of correlation between military and athletics. Like, mm-hmm. I understand there's no comparison, right? Yeah. There's we played a zero Let's comparison. We played a game. But I just think of like nerves, right? Yeah. So, when did that start to kick in for you or the, okay, hey, this is for real, this is serious? Yeah. <laughs> First, let, let me address what you said. Okay, look, yeah, it's not it's not the same clearly, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, you got to have the same type of mentality. You have to have the same type of ethos. I'm not taking away from the men or women that experience combat or the men. look. It, get beyond that. Yeah. It's it's about a mindset. Any yeah. given situation in, in any part of your life, it's all about where is your head, what is your mindset. Mm-hmm. I don't. If I look. I've heard from the Warriors that are like, oh, they, they just play a game. They don't know what it's like. And it's like, well, no shit they don't know what it's like. Mm. Thank God for that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they get paid a lot of money. And you know what? Oh, well. Mm. It's what built this country. Like, if you have a problem with it, I mean, no one's forcing you to stay here mm. either. It's just a mindset. Yeah. It is very similar. That's why it is very successful for me to go speak to athletes past, present, or future because it is a, it's about the mindset. Like, how are you driven? What's going to drive you and why? What are your convictions? How honest are you being with yourself about your shortcomings? You know, and it's, it's something that I don't do the comparison. You can't, we can't compare and contrast pain and suffering because it's all relative. There's no Richter scale on it. Yeah. You know, let your shit be your shit and my shit be my shit and let's yeah. move on and understand yeah. that we both know what trauma and tragedy looks like and we've all experienced it and move forward and grow from it. Mm. We don't have to do the comparison stuff because okay. it takes away from who you are and you're subconsciously belittling yourself and you don't even realize it. Yeah. So what was your mindset well said, when, when you found out that you guys were going across? What was your mindset? Yeah, was so, it exciting? Was it... Uh, ex- yeah, ex- excitedly nervous. I mean, we knew we were going. We didn't know where. Uh, even throughout the training at 29 Palms, we knew we were going to Iraq, Afghanistan. We didn't know which one. We didn't know exactly when our ship date would be. You know, the War Lab in D.C. is not going to give you – they're not going to make all that information known right away. Um, you know, the same reason that we usually don't know about a lot of the stuff that happens until – you know, right media before. leaks yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Just because you have, we don't need to give our enemy an advantage. Yeah. First and foremost and period, that's what it is. We we need to have every strategic advantage we can have. And so we, we were going throughout our training and, and um man the mentality was is look, we this is for going this is the real deal. We're going to the big show. We all know it. We need to pay attention. Yes, we can bitch and complain. That's something that we all do and it just helps you pass the time. Everyone does it. I don't care if you're a professional athlete. I don't care if you're a yeah. teacher, a doctor, it's whatever. True. Everybody does it. Yeah. Because it's an it's a self-preservation tactic that is it's your own personal toxic outlet. And it's something that everyone does. And so that's something that we're really good at, um, especially because you, know, you don't join the Marine Corps and volunteer for infantry for your <laughs> – living standards or you know quality of life like you've 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 made a drastic mistake if that's it we're the marines we're poor and we're not sure who our dad is and so like there's a reason that we're so effective at, when it comes to wartime because they're like hey they're already pissed they're off already about, hardened you know, yeah about everything though. let's send those guys but we we did finally get the call and uh we were we were told we were going to uh orders came down from DC that we were going to the Sunni Triangle which is also 
coin the triangle of death or the death triangle because mm. unicorn and rainbow triangle is already taken. So they called it the death triangle. <laughs> and we knew, like, okay, this is um, – we had already known just from training and, and talking to other units that had come back to 29 Palms and they were doing their decompression that the, the SUNY triangle was – Especially at that time, summer of 04, whether you wanted to fight or not, you were going to fight. Yeah. And we knew it. And so we, we ended up flying over to Kuwait, and we got to Kuwait. We were only there for a couple of days, and it, that's when it was like, okay, it's time. And we got on C-130, and we were all kitted up, ready to go. And um, I remember it was the fourth C-130 we got on because we were all getting on airplanes that were probably built before any of us were born. Mm. And it was hot. Because I remember getting to 29 Palms, and I was like, gosh, this place sucks. Mm-hmm. Like, it is the Mojave Desert. Yeah. It's, and it's desolate. Right. Yeah. And I remember getting to Kuwait and telling the guys, like, God, this place sucks worse. <laughs> and then... It's like going from Dallas in the summer to Houston in the yeah, summer. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Drastic difference. Yeah. Then we get in... I remember we came into Al-Assad, and what made it even worse is we did the combat landing on the C-130, and... Um, no one told us we were doing a combat landing. We'd never but, done so it. So yeah, what is a combat, combat landing? So C-130, you go and you, he banks, the pilot t- dips the wings, and you basically corkscrew all the way down. Mm. And oh so gosh. it's called a combat landing to avoid small arms fire yeah. or anything okay. else when you're coming into the base. Well, when that happened, uh, you know, the first Marine at the, at, the, at the front of the bird, or towards the tail end of the bird, rather, threw up. And then, so what do you think happened after that? Oh, just, just running down. Down. chain reaction. Oh yeah. And we we land, and I remember us getting off the bird, and my gunny is just standing at the at the at the back end of the bird, just looking at us, just with disgust and shame. Just <laughs> like pathetic. This, these are my kids. Awesome. Awesome. These are my you kids. Know? And it was like just we, that disappointed dad. Uh, just like, the horrible. Like, me? where have I gone wrong? You know. And what did I do to deserve it, this? Yeah. And it was like. It was interesting to see, but it, it what made it what it was even more interesting is, but behind the, the the disgust and the, I mean, he knew that we were locked tight and, and we were ready to go, but uh, there's a few Marines that he grabbed me and we're we're falling off the bird that he grabbed and said just stay here and we all knew what he was doing. Those were mm. the Marines that would never leave the wire. Wow, every group has their ten percent, and we knew okay those guys will never leave this base, this entire deployment. And he knew based off of information he got from them, or just he just, my initial. He knew. He knew. Wow. It may be the first sergeant's company, but the gunny runs it. Yeah. Mm. And yeah. it's the gunny's job to know every in and out of every single individual, personal life, professional life. Like it's it's gunny's mm. job to know. That's why you know he he, he refer a good gunny will refer to his units. Those are my you know my kids. Kids, yeah. 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 And that's the way you know gunny's dad. Mm. So you're seeing him. Grab these guys off to the side, and, and you, you don't even doesn't even need to be spoken. You knew exactly, exactly what he was doing. Mm-hmm. You knew what he was doing, and it was like that just re that just reiterated and solidified the all right. It, it's it's time for work. Yeah. yeah, it's time to go to work. So you land how how long between landing and first mission? Forty eight hours. So wow. you have we have a forty eight hour. Uh, it's called the forty eight hour mandatory brief, and. Um, during our 48 hours of, of getting briefed by, and basically that's just the unit we're replacing, telling us, you know, these are the places you can go. These are the, this is where you don't go. These are good guys. These are bad guys. These, it's we usually refer to as the left seat, right seat, uh, which was while in the middle of this brief, the left seat, right seat was happening. And the unit we were replacing lost like a CO, an XO, 
a, a sergeant major. Mm. Like it was bad. They got hit, took fire. One of my good friends actually was uh, fought his way out of it. He was one of the only guys who survived. And that happened right in the middle of our briefing. Oh my gosh! And so it was a very apparent like, oh, okay, this is no games, no BS. This is real deal. Like we just lost Marines that we're replacing that were due to go home mm-hmm. that week. Right. And you know, made it through a seven month deployment, and it was uh, a, again a very sobering moment that never mm-hmm. changed. And yet, that we. Right after that brief, we uh, we kitted up and got our convoys ready, and you know made sure weapons were ready to go, you know, food, chow, and we were out the gate. Ready. We were, it was it was a uh, there was not a lot of downtime. Mm. It was one of those things that just you, once you start moving, that's it. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm I'm sure you're thankful for that because Absolutely. less time to think through stuff. Idle, idle time. Yeah. Idle yeah. time is hard yeah. on the mind for yeah. anybody. It doesn't matter what your yeah. job, yeah. What, what, where you're from. So you fly in you know, after 48 hours. Yeah. It was um, – we, we get – I remember we were getting ready for the first uh, first mission. At this point, I'm, I'm a uh, – I was a school-trained 0311 rifleman, and then I, was, I cross-trained 0331 machine gunner when I got to my unit. And no one was on the, the lead vehicle, and uh, which was one of the big six-ton trucks. No one was on the, the PIG or the M240 Golf and the medium machine gun on the PIG because during our briefings, we were hearing about, okay, so they're putting guide wires out across the road that you can't see attempting to decapitate gunners mm. and, and turrets. And so, of course, the lead vehicle, you know, it was crickets on the 240. Yeah. Right. And I remember... No, that the guy that's not going to raise his hand. Yeah. Hey, we, need a, we need a body. <laughs> yeah. And I, I remember the CO walking up to, the, to one of the vehicles, and uh, it had a bunch of machine gunners on it. And he said, and he told me, because I was a team leader, and he said, you know, hey, Chick, we need somebody to man the pig on that first vehicle. On the lead vehicle, and I looked over to the guys, and I was like, "Hey, who's gonna, who's gonna?" <laughs> and crickets, man. Yeah, absolutely. And I was like, "Very well, very effing well. <laughs> I'll do it." And then, of course, it was like, "No, no, no." And I was like, "Nope, screw all of you equally. Mm. I'm gonna do it. When I die, you write a letter home. But I'm dead because you were too scared." Yeah. That no, I'm doing it. And then, of course, I was scared to death <laughs> the whole time. I got up. I'll never, ever forget getting up on that weapon. And I was like, oh, God, here we go. Just don't let me die by a guide wire. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like just if I'm going to like let it be something gnarly. Yeah. Mm. You know, because it's I don't want it to be a wire. But I remember getting up there, man. And I mean, you're scanning everything. <laughs> your head is on a swivel. Oh, your, oh. your vision ever been so sharp? I saw. I saw fleas from yeah. miles away. <laughs> I mean, it was one of those things where you're so in tune yeah. with every sound, yeah. movement, motion. And we left the wire. And it wasn't long that we were outside the wire that we uh, we actually, I think we took contact. It was, I think it was a single guy, a uh, small arm fire, so probably AK-47 most likely, and um, which was it lasted maybe 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, death mission for that guy. Mm. And the driver, the driver I had, I'll never forget. The driver of the lead vehicle had his staff sergeant who was with him, and they were Motor T, so they weren't even with our company. They the, these were motor transport guys, like that's what their job was in the Marine Corps, mm-hmm. Motor T. And he stopped. I remember when that came over the net or the radio. He stopped on a bridge. 
well, I knew in our training that you don't ever stop on a bridge. And so I'm telling him to get off the bridge, and he's looking at his staff, and I'm like, why is this guy yelling at us? And uh, I started kicking him in the head to get off the bridge. Mm. And I was not being nice about it. Yeah, we were getting off the damn bridge, or because it was like, bro, you, you know, we're we're targets right now. Right. And his, I remember the assessor said, "Well, you probably should get off the bridge." And he pulled off the bridge, and I I remember a vehicle. It was the first time I, aimed, I I ever aimed in on anyone. A vehicle came up to the right. I've never even told this story publicly. The vehicle came up, was coming up out of a driveway, and it was a. It looked to be a father, a mother, and their son in the back seat. It was probably uh, four or five years old, young, young child. And then I remember, I you know, I was told to aim in on the vehicle, and so I swung the turret around and I aimed in on the vehicle. And the dad, I'll, it, I'll never forget the the dad grabbed the kid and put him up on the dashboard, like against the glass. Mm against the windshield. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, is he using the kid as cover or is he showing me we have a child in the vehicle? Mm. Either way, I knew it was just gut instinct. I knew they didn't pose a threat. Mm. And so I'm trying to give them with, talk to them through my eyes. Like, Hey, listen, I'm not about to demolish your family Mm. or your vehicle because, but the fact that you pulled out of your driveway the inopportune time. Why the hell? Yeah. yeah. But, he, but he froze, he said, because you know, he didn't want to leave because then, you know, we, he doesn't know what our thinking is. And that was the, the first moment where I was like, okay, this is just going to be one constant evolution of hell. And it's yeah. just the, the only difference is going to be how hot it is at certain times and how, how much it's not. Hmm. And that was pretty much the, the rest of the time I was there. It was a, uh, up until the the moment that I got hit, it was a blur. From yeah. that point forward, was just basically a, a giant blur. Wow. So, what was that time from first mission to? And we'll, I got we'll get hit. Into that. I got hit around. It was like the thirty fifth day I was there. Thirty something day I was there, and it was a uh, it was our twenty eighth mission, and um, we got so okay. So thirty five yeah. days, twenty eight missions. So you've got seven days off in this period. Not off, but yeah, off is it would be. Yeah, a stretch. and I don't mean yeah. off, but I mean you, you're actually not out in the field those days. You're actually you're on base. Yeah, okay. yeah. We so we we would go back to Al Assad to you know re up on Chow water. And, you know, if we're lucky, they got to hit the shower trailer and um, you know the phone tent, call home, send emails, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, which a lot of guys didn't do because you're just so tired, you just mm. want to sleep. Yeah, you're exhausted. You want to sleep. I mean, it's not uncommon to go 36, 38 hours no sleep, and because you're just hooking and jabbing. Yeah. And so it was, uh, you know, it was right before. We got back. We were on base. We got to do a shower. We got to you know get a hot chow, which was a. It's a huge thing. It's just the you know, the comforts of home, if you will. And I remember when I left, I told my family like, "Look, don't write me. Don't send me anything. You're not gonna. I'm not gonna write you. Don't watch the news. No news is good news. I'll see. You. I have a job to. Do. I'll see you in seven months. Mm. Because my thing, you know, with my family, like most families, my family puts the Jerry and Springer, and I didn't need any help having to focus on what I was out there to right. do. And yeah. so I was like, you know, just leave me alone. Don't watch the news because it's probably bull crap anyway, like mm-hmm. it is now even. Yeah. Right. Just just bear down, okay? Mm-hmm. All you can do for me is pray. And yeah, other than that, there's nothing you can do. Mm-hmm. And so it was one of those things where I don't know what it was. But we got the orders. We were going to go to a place called Dulab, 
and uh, how far out is that? From? It, it was it was SUNY Triangle, so it was not it was not a far movement from Al Assad, and um, it was I don't know why, but I got a bad feeling about it, and it, so I, I went to the call tent and I called my family, broke my own rule. And I remember when I called my dad last, and I said, hey, Pop. And I'm the only kid that calls him Pop, so he knew it was me. And then, of course, you have the two- or three-second delay. Mm-hmm. And uh, first thing he says, why am I talking to you? Mm-hmm. Meaning, like, I know that you know something's not right. right. And it was this crazy moment where I just said, you know, Dad, I just needed to call and tell you that I love you, and I am the man I am because of you, and, you know, how much I admire and respect you, regardless how much of a pain in the ass I've been. You know, you, I am who I am because of you, and I needed you to know that. And all he said was, when's the next time I get to talk to you? I said, it's going to be nine days. And he knew, they all know from the family readiness training and everything, don't don't ask them where they are, don't ask hmm. them what they've done, because every phone conversation is monitored. And hmm. so the call just drop. And so that's it. Hmm. And you're not going to make another call. That's hmm. it. And so he knew, and he just said, when can I talk to you again? I said, nine days. And he said, well, I better hear from you in nine days. And I said, yes, sir, you will. And uh, I just, uh, and so I remember just said, I love you, Dad. And he said, I love you, too. You better be all right. Nine days. And that was it. Mm. And I remember I went and showered. I'm leaving the shower trailer and walking back into our tent. It's where we slept. And uh, Gunny was right there. And he yeah, gave him the proper greeting of the day. And I just said, you know, good evening, Gunny. And he didn't say anything. I walked by him, and he grabbed the back of my t-shirt after I walked by him and pulled me back to him and he hugged me and I was like what I didn't know what to do with my hands because I'm like I don't know if this is a trick <laughs> right you know and um but he hugged me and, he, and all he said and so I you know I hugged him back and he just said you, you're gonna be good chick you're gonna be good man what is what was it about that day man I mean dude yeah. I just knew I knew something wasn't right there was something um there's just something in there that uh like just something wasn't right. Sound, and, sounded like everybody felt it. It was a, uh, and the crazy thing was, is this place, uh, Dulab was based. It, it was an ammo dump where the insurgents would try and get in and get unexploded ordnance or rounds, you know, RPG rounds, AK-47 rounds, rocket propelled grenade, uh, et cetera, et cetera, to either you know make IEDs or at the time I think we were still calling them roadside bombs or, and it was just something that we. It was just. Something in that, yeah, it was a feeling that I think a lot of a lot of Marines chose to avoid it, you know, because you don't want to get in your own head. And but man, it was unmistakable to me, and I knew like this is not this is not right. Mm-hmm. And we got out to um, we got out to Dulab, and a couple of days after we got there, uh, at this time I, I was in I was the lead of the React team or QRF Quick Reaction Force. It's basically what that means is in wherever our area of operation is, if there's a threat in that area of operation or something that poses a threat, our job is to go neutralize a threat. And so we got out there. And I mean, we, how, how large is the team? Not me and nine Marines. We had okay. two, two vehicles. Uh, two, we actually had two two-door soft-top Humvees. Mm-hmm. And um, so 10 Marines, two vehicles, two 240 Golf machine guns, obviously – 10 M16s, uh, let's just say six, nine mils. We probably had, um, I mean, we had enough on us to ruin your day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was, we had a react get called, and uh, basically what happened was we, we captured two high profile guys, 
And I, I remember we had the guys, and I'm on the net with Battalion, and um, I'm doing this transaction with Battalion, and they're saying, hey, you know, the, these guys are wanted, and do not let them out of your sight. And so I knew that this was very unorthodox because these guys had IDs on them, and it was just a very unorthodox situation. And I'm talking to Battalion and trying to explain the best I can that, you know, something's not right. And uh, because we had to work in conjunction with the Iraqi National Guard and the Iraqi police. So they got to be on the same radio frequencies as us. They got to know Mm. our checkpoints, our ingress, egress, when we were going to be somewhere, how we were going to get there, when we were going to leave. You know, because somebody in that sits behind a rich mahogany desk and wears a suit thought that that was a good idea. I was going to say, who the hell makes that decision? Yeah, the guy's over there. Like, how does that make sense? It doesn't make sense. I mean, you can see (laughs) a lot of our losses and combat losses come from you know, information leakage. green on yeah. green yeah you know we call it, you know, the guys were training to fight for their own country and then they <laughs> come to a point where they turn on them and we we knew it at the, we knew it already because i mean the fir- i remember the first place where we had a checkpoint we weren't there for 30 seconds and a mortar round landed right in the middle of the road oh and it was like hmm i wonder how they knew we were going to yeah. be here that's odd and we all knew mm. so it just makes an already frustrating you know, high energy, high stress environment that much more uh, chaotic because yeah. it's like, why are we giving them all the answers? Yeah, yeah. You know, exactly. Why are we? Why are we even doing it? Is that just to? I mean, from a political standpoint, is that just so that we can have stations so, here? And it, that's just the game that no, they it had to was a hundred percent a political move, and it was one of those things when you have coalition forces yeah. and look. It, End of the day, you don't send guys like me to a foreign place to make friends. Yeah, I mean, it's just not—it's not my job description. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was never taught okay. how to do that. So you're back. You're back. Take us back to where you were. Now you got two guys. So we have two guys, and then uh, next thing I know is I see about—I uh, see about 35 Iraq National Guard trucks coming down the road, and where we were, and at this place called Dulab, there was only one entrance, one exit to where we were, and the guys came in and surrounded us. And uh, so they just made a big circle around us, and <clears throat> I just remember thinking, you know, this is this is not good. Right. And uh, they all got out of their vehicles, and they all had AK-47s, and it was one of those situations where it was like, okay, um, this is going to be interesting to see how, how this plays out. And the commander got out and you know, said, who's in charge here, and... He and I started talking, of course, with my interpreter, and um, there's about 65 of them, and there's 10 of us. Mm-hmm. And so, but to my math, they were heavily outnumbered. And that's right. I was like, you know what? And this guy was basically telling me, like, these guys pose no threat. You need to let them go. And I said, you know, well, you must have been working with the army because I don't give a shit what you think. Mm. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, you're not, I'm not here for you. Yeah, I'm not answering to you. Yeah. And uh, he basically told me that, well, you know, this is, uh, you know, you're outnumbered. And I'm like, well, I, I guess there's only one way to find out. Yeah. Mm. You know, it was ba- basically a, you know, I'm your Huckleberry moment. And even though that I was, Pucker Factor was pay. I was going to say, right? I, What's I, going on in the drawers at this time? I learned, I learned at that moment. I'm over here already. <laughs> I know, I'm just listening. Uh, I learned at that moment, like, I would be a hell of a poker player. Mm-hmm. Because I was I was scared to death. I mean, there wasn't a time that I was over there that I wasn't scared. Yeah. And anyone who tells you differently is lying. That's right? the second time you've referenced that you were scared to death and you did it anyway. Yeah. 
I mean, fortitude, you know, it's it, fear doesn't have to define or, or dictate your greatness, you know, or your next yeah. step. And it really, obviously, I got we got out of that situation as I'm talking to you. And it was uh, in large part thanks to Weapons Company. They they have all the real big toys, and they showed up and okay. Was, so, so yeah. what did that show yeah, up? Yeah, what did so, that look like? So we're we're sitting there, and it's obviously high stress situation. And the basically the guy says, you know, we, you know, you know, you're not going to get out of this. And I said, well, look, I'll just be very blunt with you that if I hear so much as a click. Mm-hmm. One click, I'm going to have one of those 240 golf swing one way, and I'm going to have one of them swing the other way. And you may win. You guys may win, but we're going to take 85% of you with us. And then I had my, it, I had this, there's this half door on the Humvee, this half metal door, like this makeshift, makeshift bulletproof, big, big time air quotes there, door. <laughs> and, um, I remember I put my 16 up on on it, and I put my barrels about six inches from his face, and I said, but the only guarantee that I can guarantee you is that you'll be the first person to die. Mm. And he knew I wasn't lying. He knew I wasn't lying. And I said, all I need, all I need is a reason. And it was one of those – he knew that I was not joking. Mm. And at this point, I mean, I could hear one of the guys that had the one of the nine mils against the head and one of the the insurgents that we had. I mean, I could hear the the rattling of the yeah. nine mil. I mean, because everybody knew this is this is a, down. this is a yeah. no shit situation. Yeah. And uh, by the grace of God, weapons company because we were weapons platoon, but weapons yeah. company. Was on the net and they they were just hauling balls Coming from through. their last mission. I got to wait, wait before we go there. I know you, yeah, right. So me and you, we've known each other for a long time. Yeah, I know if you're having the conversation with the other guy, yeah, and I'm standing there in the background, not really knowing, but I know you. <laughs> The yeah. weapon in my hand is shaking. Yeah. I'm losing my draw because I know you crazy. You're crazy enough to do something yeah. and set this thing up. So yeah. I'm wondering what, what everyone else was shaking too. So, I'm sure so you're you're yeah, the fact, your pucker factor was hot too. I, oh dude. man! Oh, you could you could cut the air with a knife. It was uh, it was. I mean, but even the what made it really, what was really solidified, the fact that our reputation definitely exceeds us is looking at looking around at the, at the Iraqi National Guard soldiers mm. looking at those eyes cuz their faces were like please god don't let this <laughs> oh, go down yeah, yeah. Right. because they knew like we we will deal with you yeah and it's going to be quick fast and in a hurry and i, I don't it's just it's going to be one of those things where it is, it's going to come down to training mm. right and you're going to get your ass kicked. Yeah, you just got done herding goats up in the mountains. And <laughs> yeah, we've I mean, been preparing for this. Look, we, we can read and write our own language. Yeah. And we can make these weapons reach out and touch you from 500 yards open sight. Yeah. Like, <sighs> you may run, but you're going to die tired. Yeah. yeah. You're going to die, <laughs> die tired. tired. And <laughs> it was, uh, but that's when, by the grace of God, they, everybody was, every, it was a very tense situation. But then that's when weapons company rolled in and those are the guys you know that have the AT4 missile launchers the Mark 19 grenade launchers the the I mean they have the smalls they have all these all 50 cals and they rolled in and just basically circled the the circle the inner circle of the ING the Iraqi mm-hmm. National Guard and almost in unison 
the ING drop their AKs and hold their hands up and no mista, no mista. And I was mm. like, yeah, those are my homies. So uh, <laughs> say when. Right. And it, that was it. That was it. They grabbed the two guys and took them back to uh, to battalion and back to the base, and they, they were gone in a hurry. They poofed mm. once they got there. And so that was that was a high, high-stress night. And it was, that was trying to – I mean, I'm guessing it was one – one two in the morning and um oh this is in the middle of the night middle of the night yeah oh, and, and we end up man. so this is September twentieth and we end up getting back to the 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 CP command post and uh, the guys bedded down everybody was tired and worn out and and um so I go back I go to the command post and I'm in the the vehicle that powers the command post the Humvee and it was Doc Doc's turn to be on watch. And docs, it basically watches you. You're looking along the Euphrates, and you're you're basically taking count of every every flare that shot up. What color is the flare? What time was it shot up? At what area did it shoot up? Because you're trying to decipher how they're communicating to each other, trying to and you give it to intelligence, trying to crack the code. And so I'm I'm up there with Doc, and you know, I'm, I'm basically just coming down off of this adrenaline high and telling him. You know, like, guys, this is crazy, blah, blah, blah. And finally I told Doc, you know, I, I got to bed down. I'm smoked. And he was like, all right, Jake, yeah, go bed down. And I laid down, took my boots off, laid down, and went even 15 minutes. And, of course, Murphy's Law, react. Yeah. And I was like, damn it. So I get up, and I would wake up the Marines, you know, whisper sweet nothings in their ear and rub their back, because that's how we do it. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about sure. right. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you give you a little foot massage. Oh, right? yeah. going on. Yeah. 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 And uh, nobody's happy. Yeah. Nobody's happy. And I remember when I walked out of the tent, and as soon as I bust, like I breached the, the line that separated the inside of the tent to the outside, and that bad feeling I had in my gut went right in my throat. And I knew we were about to get hit. I knew as sure as the sun is going to come up and go down that we were about to get hit. I didn't know by what. I didn't know if it was going to be followed by small arms fire. I didn't know what. I didn't know details. But something I knew it was about to go down. And, uh, you know, you can call it my grandfather talking to me from beyond the grave. You can call Mm -hmm. it God. Good news is you can have your beliefs. I can have mine. Mm -hmm. And we're going to keep our head affixed to our shoulders. Yeah. So raw freedom, but I, I'm in it. I'm something tells me okay, get the bomb blanket out of your CEO's Humvee, which is, which I did. My commanding officer, I uh, got the bomb blanket out of his vehicle. I went to the lead vehicle. I kicked the driver out of the driver's seat and I put the bomb blanket down, which is basically a Kevlar blanket. And uh, I took the radio from the radio man and I told all the guys to button up, meaning if they gave it to you for protection, put it on right now. Mm-hmm. Net guard, ground protector, flak jacket, sappy plates, shatterproof goggles or you know, shatterproof glasses are not shatterproof. And um, <laughs> so I put it on right now and I get in the driver's seat. And at this point, I'm sure the guys knew something. I felt something that mm. something was up and I'm on the radio with the guy. Wherever the threat was in the watchtower closest to it, and he's trying to talk me on target. And within three minutes, we hit a triple stack tank mine, which is three one five five millimeter mortar rounds stacked, and it was pressure plate ignited. Meaning, as soon as the that plate is hit by something that makes it go down, it lights a fuse, the bomb goes off. Mm. And three one five five millimeter mortar rounds, just for those that don't understand or are not educated on unexploded ordnance just equates to a big ass bomb. Mm-hmm. 
and it blew up directly beneath me, blew me... Lead vehicle, right? Lead vehicle, and blew me 30 feet to the top of the Humvee. And I knew in the air, like, this is going to... This is bad. So you're... What do you mean you knew in the air? Yeah. You were conscious? I never lost consciousness when it shot. I remember the whole thing. Oh, my god! took the Blackhawk 42 minutes to come get me. So it ruined my whole day. It was a long day at the office. I I mean, yeah. Holy shit, yeah. man. Okay, so, so you're so you're in the air, yeah. and you're like, I know, this is bad. I have a, f- a pretty sure feeling that this was a big bomb. Mm-hmm. So I'm immediately thinking, how many, how bad is it? Yeah. How many other guys were in your Humvee? I had uh, three other guys in my vehicle, okay. and the rest were in the second vehicle. And by the grace of God, the only uh, other injuries were uh, blown eardrums. And so better me than my Marines. I thank God for that. So you go 30 feet in the air, and the next worst was blown Blown eardrums. Blown eardrums. And so the the passenger ended up – once I I hit the deck, I I stuck the landing with my head because I'm a Marine and we believe in good form. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Good form. I can hear him yelling my name. He's yelling "chick" because he can't see me. Mm-hmm. And the baby, the the is the, it? I'm sorry. Is it light at this point? Is it light outside? Yeah. Yet? So it, we had hit. We hit the. Um, that's more comfortable. <laughs> we're yeah, gonna okay? we're gonna hit the. Yeah. We hit the the bomb right at sunup. I mean, the okay. sun was just coming up. Okay. And so it was right at daybreak, and uh, when I hit the deck, and I'm. I'm trying to I can hear him yelling my name and so I'm trying to pull get pull myself back to the Humvee two reasons one cuz I couldn't find my weapon and two to tell him like hey brother I'm I'm okay ish like yeah. and I need you to stop yelling yeah because mm-hmm. you're making us a bigger target I need you to shut him McShutterson correct Okay, because I don't need us getting shot at in the while we're waiting for the smoke and the sand and everything to clear. Because the baby powder over there is super fine. It's like, I mean, the sand's like baby powder to yeah. give the listeners an idea. It's very, very fine. So it's just like throwing, you know, dust in the air. It's going to take a yeah, while to settle. to settle. So you can't see. And at this point, you can't see anything. I can hear him. I can't see him mm-hmm. when he's yelling my name, and I can't see out of my uh, I can't see out of my right eye because of the, my shatterproof goggles yeah. shattered. Yeah. <laughs> False advertising, and um, I had a piece of the lens in my right eye, so I couldn't mm. see out of my right eye. But I, I'm trying to scoop my, I'm trying to pull myself back to the Humvee, and I realize I'm just scooping sand, and so I'm not mm. going anywhere. And none of my other extremities would work. And I still hadn't taken a breath because when the bomb went off, the the steering wheel disengaged from the dash, and it hit me in my chest, and so it broke all my ribs. And it exploded all my mags because we wear all the mags on the front yeah. of our flak jacket. And so all, all my rounds went everywhere. And all the guy in the passenger seat could see is my rounds and, and blood, and but, you know, no me. Mm. And so he was just trying to find, hoping he could, you know, get a response from me. Mm. And that was a, a very... The blood curdling scream that I'll never forget because I just wanted him to know, like, hey, bro, I'm good, kind of, but I mean, I'm alive. Yeah. More than anything, just for him, just yeah. for his peace of mind. And that was something that I'll never forget. And out of 
when he because he at one point broke military protocol and, and he broke and he yelled my first name mm. and it, I remember it just gutted me. It was like pulling my heart out of my chest because all he needed to know that I it was that I was okay. Hey, right. And um, th- that's something I'll never forget. I mean, uh, till I die. That's just no way I'm going to forget it because it was one of those moments where, I mean, that's your boy. That's your human side, dude. I mean, you put it all down. That's that's the human side. And it was the bravado and everything was dropped uh, at this moment. I started my self-assessment and part of my left hand was blown off. It was hanging by my left elbow. I saw daylight through my left arm because five inches of my ulna was blown out of my left arm. And uh, my left leg was wrapped around itself, and it, all I, could, I saw my fibby, my tibia was exposed. My boot was blown off, but my sock was still on. And I remember that being confirmation that that was a big bomb. Yeah, because it blew my combat boot off without taking my foot with it. So that was a huge. I was like, okay, that was a significant explosion. Right leg looked normal, but was but hurt. So yeah. I knew we were okay. Right, right leg's probably broken, but it still looks normal. And uh, couldn't breathe, still couldn't breathe, and all my ribs were broken. And so both my lungs were were temporarily collapsed from the, the steering wheel hitting me in the chest. And, I, of course, I had shrapnel and burns all over. And, um, and so I could only see out of my left eye. And, and the only thing that worked was my right arm. And so I still had shrapnel and some burns in my right arm, but nothing was fractured or broken. And so I... Uh, I'm sitting there trying to pull myself, and then I realized I'm not going anywhere. Did my self-assessment, then realized how bad it was, mm-hmm. and immediately just said a prayer and just said, God, all I ask is you don't take me in front of my boys. Just mm-hmm. don't take me in front of my family. Mm-hmm. As, soon as, as soon as the skids of the bird leave the deck, I'm all yours. Mm-hmm. Just please don't allow my family to watch me die. That's all I ask. That was my focus at that moment. Mm-hmm. Next thing I know, the guys get to me and they're like, "Hey, we got you, we got you." And and uh, for whatever reason, I took a breath and the first thing I said was, "Develop 360," meaning set up a security cordon around the area. And it was the reaction of was like, "Oh, oh shit, yeah." And I'm like, "Yeah, still at war, guys." Like, yeah. This is presence of mind. Taliban doesn't call timeouts. Yeah, right? but but yeah. by repetition, right? Like you were trained so training, well that man. that was it. It was training, and these guys, I. You know, you can't. I can't put myself in their shoes, and they can't put themselves in my shoes. I mean, God only knows how I would have reacted if I saw one of my homies that was right. that busted up and still conscious and talking. You know, who who knew? Who knows how I would have reacted? But it's not for me to know. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not. It is what it is. It happened the way it happened, and I wouldn't change it. It's you know, you can't. And so. They take me back to the second vehicle and get me back up to the command post where Doc, same guy I was talking to uh, a that night. Hours before, yeah, yeah. He, he starts working on me right away. And I'm at this point, I'm pissed because I'm in a lot of pain. So mm-hmm. adrenaline's worn off, and I can feel everything, and I'm not happy about anything. And uh, I'm real pissed at Doc because he'd only hit me with two sticks of morphine, and I knew he had more. <laughs> So I'm calling this guy, trying to save my life, a stingy bastard, and like, just give me some more drugs. He's like, I can't. And I didn't understand why, and I didn't care. Just knew I was in pain, and he had the remedy, and he wasn't sharing. And um, but I was really, really thankful for this time because I got to tell every one of the guys again. Right arm worked. They would get in the driver's seat of the Humvee. And I got to grab every one of their hands and tell them how much I loved them and how much I respected them and that to take a good look at me because this is what they want. And you have to go fight for me now. I can't fight. I'm done. Mm. 
And so I need you to go carry the fight to the enemy, enemy for me. Yeah. And and I know you know you, you said this prayer like keep me alive until I'm out of sight of my boys. Yeah. But at any point through that process, you're like, I, I'm I might not make this. Yeah, I, I kind of uh, you know I made I made peace with death before I left. Yeah, hmm. I, I made I sat my family down, talked to them about it, and said, look, this is a uh, I have a very <laughs> it's a job that is very there's a high probability that I could be mm-hmm. killed. Yeah, and we need to all accept that. We need to all understand that if that happens, I need you to know that I died doing what I what I love and what I feel like I was destined to do, and and, and I I'm okay with it. I need you to be okay with it. Yeah, yeah. you know, I mean, it's weird to give your parents at the age of nineteen, you know, a living will and say, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Here, here just in case. Yeah. But it was one of those things where it's millions and millions of people had to do it before me and millions yeah. and millions are going to have to do it after me. Yeah. And it's just one of those things that you accept. I had accepted that death was a, a very high probability to my future. Mm-hmm. I never, ever, never crossed my mind to be severely wounded and live ever. Not one time. Cause that's not something you hear about, right. especially at that time is not something you heard about is, you know, kill, be killed, live, live or die. Yeah. And so it was, uh, when I'm when I'm sitting there and I'm going through being able to tell these guys how much I love them, I mean the shield the the guard was down and it was just it was straight connection, soul to soul, straight family. And uh, I remember the bird got there and they loaded me up on the bird and my platoon sergeant was the last one on the bird and he kissed me on my forehead and he was trying not to cry and he said, "We'll see you soon, Jack London." And he called me Jack London because my First generation Marines, Jack London Chick. Second generation is Jack London Chick Jr. And clearly, he didn't think Jake was a cool name because he always called me Jack London. <laughs> and um, but I knew he was lying to me because he kissed me on my forehead and he was trying not to cry. And I and I remember that, like that gave me a little bit of adrenaline. And I was like, okay, okay, mm. we'll see. Mm. And um, Bird takes off, and I got the attention of one of the litter crew, and the guy comes up to me and. It, you know, I'm not wearing a headset in the back of the bird. And if you're, I mean, these these medevacs, these Blackhawks, if you don't have a headset on, I mean, you're, it's hard to hear anything. And I remember I yelled in his left ear, how long? And I remember after I yelled that, I immediately regretted it because I felt life leave my body. Like I knew I was dying and I mm. shouldn't have done it. I should have conserved my energy. And, and I remember when I did that and I felt it and I knew, okay, it's, you know, it's it's a matter of time. And uh, he radioed up front to the captain and asked him how long. And he got back down and he yelled in my right ear, 12 mics, 12 minutes. And I immediately talked to God again. This is no shit. I immediately talked to God again. I said, hey, big man, I'm going to have to renege on the original verbal agreement because I'm fairly <laughs> certain I can do 12 more minutes. And um, clearly granted me that because I'm talking to you guys but we landed in Balad which was a field hospital right near Baghdad and uh, they pulled me off the bird I mean they're working on me before we even get in the tent and it was um, I was pissed because it was like okay I need you to give me more drugs before you start poking and prodding and all that on me again. And they kept asking me, name, rank, social, name, rank, social, name, rank, social, just trying to get me to stay, stay, alive. Yeah. Yeah, stay alert. alert. Yeah. 
and I, I remember just every time they asked me, it just pissed me off more. Yeah, I already told you. Yeah, yeah. and it's tattooed on my ribs. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's because all most grunts we have what's called your meat tags. Just in case something happens, you can't be identified. They'll be able to read. It's on your rib, on your rib cage. <laughs> and so the, I remember because it's like if you slam your finger in the door and someone's like, "Are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay?" Yeah. And every time they ask for whatever reason, the pain goes pissed. up. Yeah. Right. So yeah. finally, I was like, "Well, I'm going to show you." It's and I told it's tattooed right here. I'm done talking. Like I'm gonna show you people trying to save my life, <laughs> you know. And it was we got in the tent, and I remember the doc. There was a surgeon sewing up my face, sewing up my chin and my cheeks. <laughs> and I remember he said, "Oops." And uh, oh, jeez. If I'm lying, I'm dying. And I I looked up and I said, "What do you mean, oops, doc?" And he said, "Hey, sorry, Marine, messed up on your stitches. Gonna have to start again." Well, I had a sheet at this point up to my neck, like just a, a white sheet. And um, I said, hey, Doc, I don't know if you've seen me from the neck down, <laughs> but I'm fairly certain the scratches on my face are the least, least of our worries mm-hmm. right now. And he gave this little – as soon as I said it, like he – I don't know if he had heard about me before I got there from the flight or from whatever, if he was talking to my guys back at, at Dulop. But he gave this little nod to the anesthetist, and that's the last thing I remember. Like he gave this nod like, please put, him down. put this dude to sleep. <laughs> yeah. And that was the last thing I remember until Nurse Jax woke me up, and uh, I'll never ever forget her. And she woke me up, and and she said, uh, "Hey, Marine, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to tell you this. We had to take your right foot." Mm. And so I'm I'm immediately looking, like I'm visualizing back at the at Dulab, and and I'm like, okay, the right foot, the right foot was the only thing that looked normal. And I, then I was like, okay, well, shit, they took the wrong foot. I guess it's good enough for government work. They had a 50 50 <laughs> shot. Yeah, you said your left foot was right. Spun around. So yeah. I immediately think it took the long day, just got longer. Like, right. took the wrong foot. And she can see me going through this in my head, you mm-hmm. know? And she's like, and she tells me, like, no, 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 Marine. Like, it, your right foot was dead when you got here. And what happened was, is when the firewall on the Humvee, when the explosion went off, the firewall folded on my right foot and crushed my right foot. So mm-hmm. it impeded blood flow. From my ankle down, so my my right foot was dead by the time I got there, and Doc knew it. Doc knew I was going to lose my right foot. Mm. He never told me, and I still give him shit about it to this day. I'm like, hey, dude, why didn't you tell me that right. I was going to, you know, come out of surgery and with with minus a limb? Right. And he was like, well, Jake, I didn't feel like it was really appropriate at the time <laughs> because I didn't know because everything yeah. everything, everything yeah. was appropriate, yeah. Yeah. right? I everything. didn't know if you're going to bleed out. I didn't know, like, I didn't want the last <laughs> thing for me to tell you life. is, oh, yeah. by the way, you're you're going to lose your right leg. Yeah. Love you, bro. Like, <laughs> I'm like, I get, I get it, I guess. But he uh, he knew and. So she explained it to me, and I remember she explained it as if you put a, a in a surgical glove or a rubber glove, you fill it up with sand, and she said that's essentially what your foot was like when you got here. There was there's nothing anyone could have done to save it, mm. and I said, all right, I got it, I get it. And then, but um, now you're thinking, what about the other one that was gnarly? Well, the other one, you know, she's explaining to me like, you know, the blood flow is it's there, it's weak, but it's there. So it's you know, same with your left arm. She goes, I understand visually, it's bad. She Uh said, but the blood flow has not been impeded. And so she said, I'm not, I'm not saying they're out of the woods yet. You're not out of the woods yet. And uh, she said, so don't get too excited. But it looks like, I mean, there's a shot. I said, okay, roger that. And uh, then I had to call. She asked me if I wanted to call my family. 
And I said, yeah, and I called my... my uh, they have no idea at this time. None. No, this is three or four days after I made the original mm-hmm. call. And uh, I remember I called my dad, and I knew it was about 10.30 back in Shreveport, Louisiana, at night. And I knew he was by himself. And, um, but just in case I died, I, you know, I wanted to talk to him Yeah. just to reiterate what I said in the original conversation. And he answered the phone and I said, Hey pop. And he said, why am I talking to you? I said, they got me dad. And he said, what do you mean? They got you. I said, they got me and I'm hurt. And he said, how bad? And I said, it's bad. I said, they had to take my right foot. And I remember just silence on the other end. And then he just said, are you going to make it? And I said, I don't know. I need you to hurry. And I I remember telling him, like, feeling like this little kid, this innocent little kid that just needs his dad, you know? And I said, I just, I need you to hurry. And he said, I'm going to be there as soon as I can. I love you, sons. I love you too, dad. And he said, you better make it. I said, I'm I'm giving it hell. And uh, that was it. They they loaded me up on a bird, took me to Germany. And that's where my, my blood family was going to meet me in Germany. But then I was only there for sh- a short while. I was only there about 17 hours. And they basically got me well enough to fly from Germany back to the States, to Maryland. And that's where I saw my blood family the first mm. time at the, in Bethesda, at Nas- the Bethesda National Naval Hospital. And uh, it was weird because they they drive me up and I remember the flight, man. Not only the flight from Iraq to to Germany, like every bump mm. was like getting blown up all over again. Oh every little God. bit of turbulence was like it was horrible. I threw up twice, I like threw up pure morphine twice, and it was just a call it the pain tube. You know, the guys that get hurt and have to take, get on these flights and. I remember on one of the flights, there was this guy. They stack you up. I remember we were stacking Wait a minute. How many people are on this? There's a lot, dude. 04. Uh, is it like a, a flying hospital or is it – what is it like? Essentially. So it's it's basically one of these transporter birds that is basically gutted, and they just put gurneys all throughout them. So they're, they're basically these gurneys that they put you in a rack, and there's – they're stacked, you're three high and four wide. And so you have uh, six people in the middle. You have six warriors in the middle, one on either, and, and three on either uh, side of the bird, yeah. all the way down the plane. And I remember where I was, and there was this guy above me that was, I mean, just carrying on, man. It was just like, oh, and moaning and groaning. It wasn't just pissing me off. Like, it was pissing everybody off. And finally, I remember finally I was like, I, I was like, shut the hell up. Like, we're all hurting. And everybody was like, yeah, yeah, shut up. <laughs> and um, and he shut up. And I was just remember thinking, like, it goes back to the you know, name rank social, name rank social. Like, no one needs help being in pain. Okay? Mm-hmm. So shut up. Yeah. Right. Shut up. We're, we all hurt. Shut up. Right. So the severity, what would you say, like the severity? I mean, were you like on the, the higher end? Yeah, of, that's of why I was closer to the telling of the birds. Okay. They, they, for, for severity, I think. You got to be able to pull you they, off faster yeah. if they need to. Okay. And so it was, um, I mean, it was bad, man. It was There were some gnarly injuries and guys that were really, really hurt bad. And, and not everybody was conscious. And uh, mm. you know, we lost we lost a couple of people on the flight. And, on the flight. Yeah. And it was. <sighs> Look, it was one of those moments where it was like everybody on this plane is you have no idea what your tomorrow looks like. Yeah. And we got into Maryland and the they take me up to the emergency entrance. And I remember the ambulance doors open and my dad uh, 
put his hand on my chest and he said, Bubba, is that you? Because I mean, at this point, my my left eye is almost swollen shut at this point because of the swelling in my head and I was black and blue and I'm sure I smelt amazing. Because you got that shower before. Yeah, hadn't, <laughs> but I hadn't showered since. And, uh, and my dad said, Hey, Bubba, is that you? And all I could get out, all I could muster up was get your damn hand off my chest because it hurt. Oh, all broken my ribs. ribs. And for anyone who's had broken ribs, it's, yeah. it's yeah. painful. Yeah. And because uh, you, you can't ever get away from it. Like, no breathing, matter what you do, moving, no matter anything. Blinking. Yes. Yeah. It's, and I remember, so my dad pulled his hand off and looked at the rest of my family that was there and goes, Yeah, that's Jake. So it's, <laughs> and that was, kind of, dude, that was the beginning of my, of my yeah. personal hell that was yeah. my own personal battle yeah. and it was that had everything to do with physical and mental and i'll tell you right now I, I tell people all the time i was never trained how to be a severely wounded marine but i'll tell you this if anyone can mentally prepare you it's the marines mm. to be hurt that bad and and because i was never a good patient let's get that out of the way i was not a model patient mm. All, all, because I was an, I was an ass. All I did was I was in fight mode. I was right. stuck in fight that, mode. That helped you though. Absolutely, absolutely. Because every you know, since I was a little kid, you know, all I knew how to do when I was backed up into a corner was fight my way out, yeah. and that's all I knew. And that that's the mechanism I utilized to keep. I, I think to keep me alive, even though I'm a believer. You know, I think when God wants you, it's not open for negotiation. Yeah. But right. it helped me fight through it, and it, it helped me understand and and really truly believe that i was i was no victim right i was no victim and i never did the why me i never did the i always always had the mindset of better me than my marines better me than them and you know i'm I'm probably not going to handle it with grace but i will damn sure handle it with grit right and um you know if i'm gonna die it's gonna be a memorable experience right yeah so so like basically it starts all over again Oh, yeah. You get back, man. It's like you're the second chapter, dude. It was. I went from being one of the world's most elite warriors that this universe has ever seen to not being able to use the bathroom by myself in literally a nanosecond. And you talk about humility. Like you don't. It's not eating a piece of humble pie. That's inhaling the factory mm. and, yeah. and trying to be okay with it. You know. And it was one of those things that was very. Uh, it was an ongoing process to even, you know, I remember being up there. They were, they were prepping me for the OR in ICU because I was I was in surgery every 48 to 72 hours. Yeah, so, yeah, let's just hit that number right there. Yeah. So 46 surgeries. Over, stateside. Stateside. Yeah. That not, not to say That's trauma, not to all that stuff Germany, out there. Yeah. Iraq, yeah. 46. 46. Okay, so so you're in surgery every every day. It, for the first every two couple days. months I was home, it was every two to three days. Gosh. I was in the OR. And, uh, you know, then I had 23 blood transfusions throughout this entire 18-month evolution. And uh, How does your body even handle, like, that much, you know, anesthesia, that whole process? Yeah, because it's I mean, a risk every time yeah. you go down. And I'll then tell to you say, how I handled it. More, more. More drugs. Please, more. <laughs> more yeah. drugs. Yeah. I was always, I'll tell you, I'm the mindset of one works good, five's going to be awesome. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's which, why. I, which, is, which is dangerous, right? Hell yeah, it's dangerous. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's why it's, I mean, look, it, for me, what I did was, I mean, it's a reason, a reason I'm a recovering addict and alcoholic mm-hmm. is because I was chasing my first high. You're right. never going to get mm-hmm. there. Yeah. You're never, ever going to get there. Right. But I was going to give it hell. Damn. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna give it up. Yeah, I hear that morphine. 
Was it a morphine? What was it that? No, that, my go-to. Yeah. My go. Oh, fentanyl was my thing. Oh man, yeah. I can oh, tell you this. Let me it. tell you this. I've had what uh, ten surgeries, and there is nothing like that drip. Oh, dude, dude, yeah. there is nothing like. I understand how, why, how, and why people uh, get addicted to drugs because yeah. I could, I was, and not even close to what you, but just to have that pain go away and to feel that coldness yeah. hit your veins, yeah. it was damn. I, I'm like a dope fiend around here. Think about it. Hey, all that shoulder work, man. I'm giving up. We're going under. Let's go do another one. Dude, that's why I had I had family members on button watch. Yeah. Like if I woke up, if I finally passed out, because I had a family member with me 24 hours a day. Mm. If I woke up and I was in a in a shitload of pain before I went to sleep, somebody messed up on hitting the button when they were supposed to. And everybody's day and was going to go And Chick was going to make you pay for it. Dude, it was so bad that it, at night, because I usually slept most of the day and was up all night. Yeah. The, the nurse, the nurses at the nurse station at night, I shit you not, would, would play paper, rock, scissors to see who had to take my chart. Wow. That's how awesome of a patient I was. <laughs> and so it was like my my... My dad and my family constantly like, we're, thank you so much. Like, yeah. We're real sorry. <laughs> yeah. They're yeah. Compensating yeah. for you. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. can I buy a coffee, please? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, yeah. It was, but man, it was that you can't go through something. You know, I ended up leaving Bethesda. I was there for three, about three months, and I left there and went to San Antonio, Brook Army Medical Center. I think they call it SAMC now. And um, I was, one of the first Marines to be sent to an army facility in post nine eleven conflict. And so the mis- big mistake there was, is that if you're going to send a Marine to a facility where he is the only Marine in the facility, in an army facility, yeah. it's a problem. at some point the shit's going to hit the fan. <laughs> You you can only call it's not us, if it's when you can only call us soldiers so many times. Yeah. Well, you, you said when you come back, the trash starts talking. It started again. It started. Yeah. I remember I was coming out of about a. Um, it was one of the surgeries I had. I had multiple surgeries that were eighteen, twenty hour surgeries, and uh, I, was, I'm in San Antonio. And I remember my head. The door was to my right, and I remember I'm coming out of it still because I mean when you're under that long, it takes a lot longer to come out yeah. of it. Right. But once they got me stabilized and they got me back in my room, which was ICU anyway, and the door's to my right, and I remember my head was turned, and I see the door open, and my open my eyes, and I see these black boots come in. And if you're on garrison or back at home on base, like these black boots are supposed to look like mirrors. Like you should right. be able to see yourself in them. You don't even see them anymore now. Everybody wears the desert boots now. Yeah. But I remember seeing them, and they were freaking horrible. And I just I I'm looking at these boots and they're close they're coming closer and closer in my bed, and I just all I could get out was those are the nastiest boots I've ever seen in my life. Like coming out of anesthesia, like. And my dad goes, "Sir, he's we're I'm so sorry. He's on. He's really really medicated." Did you say something to whoever? Well, you didn't know who it was. No, because all you saw was the boots. Yeah. And then I go to look up, and then of course I said one star, two star, three star, oh four stars, God. and I was like, "Oh shit." No. <laughs> No way. Four-star general. I mean, but were you justified in it, though, right? Like, You, you know what? I looked. Then I gave him a look at his face like, you should know better. What are you going to do? Yeah. Let me yeah. Shut my yeah. Head yeah. yeah. Right. yeah. What are you going to do? There's not much you can do to and me. He looked point. at my dad and, and did the, you know, the German salute. And it was like, 
He's right. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. so I look at my dad and I'm like, suck it. Right. <laughs> suck it. Because <laughs> no one had ever called him out because he's just forced our general. Who's right. going to say yeah. anything to him? Right. The wow. president? You know? And it was like, it was one of those moments where I was like, okay. And he was coming to see you? you? Yeah. yeah. Okay. He was coming to do, it was a big deal because I was the only Marine yeah. at this facility that it got a lot of attention and, um, you know, which has its pros and cons. But it was, um, it. I mean, there's a lot of stories like that throughout the hospital. But it was, like, in, for example, in Bethesda, I remember my dad saying, hey, first sergeant's coming to see you. And first sergeant was back stateside, and I was like, oh, shit. Because first sergeant's one of those Marines that he's like the guy that fell off the recruiting poster, and mm. just the, there he is. Yeah. Like, he was one of those, like, can look at you and kill you. Right. Third-degree red stripe, he's black belt. Marine Corps martial arts, like yeah, he was that guy, and he and I was like, he's my dad. I'll never forget my dad. Hey, Bob, first one to come see. I was like, oh shit, don't let him come see me. He was like, what are you talking about? I said, like, you don't understand. He he he's probably gonna finish the job. <laughs> like, finish the job. I'm like, dad, you don't understand. He's probably pissed off. Right. That I didn't die like a proper gladiator should, right. or like, wow. he's like, oh no, Bo. And I'm like, you don't, you don't know. You don't you're know. a banker. You're a freaking banker. <laughs> and so I had it all planned out, and I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna act like I'm passed out. He won't know any different because yeah. I'm on so many drugs. Who's yeah. gonna, who's gonna say anything? So I had it all planned out. He'll come in. I'll act passed out. Be good to go. So. um Door, the knock on the door, and I hear my dad, hey, first heart. And I'm like, okay, I'm out. Yeah. Well, so as soon as he starts to talk, you know, the, your heart monitor has does the little. Oh, yeah. Boop. Oh, yeah. Boop. 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 yeah. My freaking heart monitor <laughs> died, you out. died me out. Oh, man. So I'm like, okay, great. I can't act like I'm passed out now because right. oh, know, heart, yeah. Yeah. Heart, heart monitor. Right. So then. My he's at the foot of my bed. And he's talking to my dad. And there's a lot of my family and friends in the room. And um, first sergeant said, "Hey, you mind if I get a moment with my brother?" And my dad was like, "Sure, oh sure, first sergeant." And then turned around to the family like, "Hey guys, quiet down." And first sergeant was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna need y'all all y'all get the f out." Mm. <laughs> to my father, and I was like, "Don't get out! Don't, <laughs> don't get out! Of the room. Don't leave me with him. We need witnesses. Don't <laughs> get out! At least room. at least right. say goodbye before you leave." <laughs> and of course, my dad was like, "Hey, we gotta get out! Let's go!" And I was yeah. like, "Oh damn it! Don't get out!" But he comes up. So this is what happened: family gets out of the room. Of course, my dad shuts the door, and uh, first heart comes over to the right side of my bed, and he puts. I remember he puts his hand out as if to like pick me up off the ground. Like if someone's gonna pick you up, that, they mm. put their hand out. Mm-hmm. And we clasp hands, and he puts the back of my hand on his heart and the back of his hand on my heart. And he leans down, and he puts his forehead against my forehead, and he doesn't say a word and sits mm-hmm. there for like three minutes. Gets done, sits up, touches the left side of my face, and leaves. And it was the most powerful conversation mm-hmm. I've ever wow. had, and not one word was spoken. That is being tribal. Yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. Very few people will ever understand what it takes to get to that relationship with another human being where not one word is spoken, yet everything is said. And had never met him. No, and I, I knew him. And it was one of those things where it, I knew, I mean, he had put, he had knocked me out probably 50 times. Okay, so you guys, okay, so, okay. But this was the guy that was, you know, the, the quintessential hard-ass Marine yeah. that, you know, you hear all the stories about. This was this guy. 
And to show that moment of vulnerability and in uh, that human, the human side, it right. was a huge thing. And, and when he walked out, he opened the door, and apparently when he got in the hall, he got emotional. Well, as soon as he turned his back to me and got into the hall to go to the door, I got emotional. Because mm-hmm. it was one of those moments that you just can't, you couldn't put, you can't put a price on. And so my dad walks in the room, and he said, "Hey, first sergeant, as soon as he came out, just and sees me emotional. I think he was going to tell me, you know, what happened. First sergeant came in and the hallway and got upset and looks at me and sees me and he just shakes his head. He looked right at me and just goes, "You Marines are weird." Yeah. <laughs> oh wow, that's crazy. And man. I was like, "And you're still a banker." Yeah, that's <laughs> so, right. That's right. But it was one of those moments that really solidified I was a part of one of the most elite warfighting gun club that man has yeah. ever known yeah. yeah because it was one of those moments where that was that was two gladiators showing completely dropping the guard yeah and being completely that, man open. that that's one of the man that's one of the greatest moments I mean without a word being spoken not one not one word. And to touch like man, that's that's incredible, man. And it was something that um he, he ended up becoming the sergeant major of the Marine Corps. And uh he he just retired and it was one of those things where it was like at that point, you know, rank and structure it didn't matter. Yeah. It was just bro- those were it yeah. was two brothers. Brother, brother, brother. That was it. Yeah. And that was one of the reasons I got the assistant commandant of the Marine Corps and I got real close early on because he would come see me and he would sit next to me and just say, Hey, you call me Jake. Like, Hey Jake, don't, don't look, don't look at these stars. Just brother to brother, Marine mm-hmm. to Marine. How mm-hmm. how you doing? How's your brain? Mm-hmm. He goes, clearly everything else is in bad shape. How's your brain? You know, how are you feeling? And I just remember really respecting him for that. Yeah, I mean, trained to be a weapon, right? And then yeah. to have the the human component there, and just deeply caring for you as a person. Yeah, it was something that really you don't get to see it on TV. You don't get to yeah, see it in the right. documentaries. You don't yeah. get to see those those that part of it that really is what carries us across the finish line, yeah. whether in combat or not. I mean, it's it is the human side. Yes, mm. we are very effective warriors and effective at what we do because we train for it. Yeah. Just like you're effective at playing football because right. that is your job. Yeah. But it's what you don't see that makes all the difference in the That's world. Right. Yeah. You so you, you go from there mm-hmm. and the process starts. Chapter two starts and you start to move on with your life. And there's a lot of things that happen yeah. through that process, man. Give us a little background on that. Some yeah, I'm, uh, you know, at this point, I'm, I'm a hell bent drug addict chasing my first high i remember that i got out of the hospital in san antonio and they gave me a giant i'll never forget they gave me a big like a bag of drugs Mm. because at this point i'm on so much medication that it's not anybody's fault it's just the way it is yeah and uh i remember when they gave me the bag and my brother had actually picked me up to take me to pensacola uh florida because it's where my ex-wife was going through flight school, and I was going to meet up with her, and my brother had to drive me. Clearly, I wouldn't drive myself anywhere. And I remember getting the bag of drugs and looking at him, and he looked at me. He was like, what? And I just remember telling him, like, I know exactly how this is going to end. And he goes, what do you mean? And I was like, this is supposed to last me X amount of time. Like, this will be gone in two weeks or whatever. Mm. At the height of my addiction, I was taking around 55 pills three times a day and eating between 8 and 12 fentanyl pops a day. So I was on enough drugs to literally kill a herd of elephants. It was crazy. And at this point, I had already decided I I was 
lost in my addiction. And, um, you know, it was, a. Yeah, I think you can't, I won't call it a rock bottom because I believe that my, my rock bottom would be death. Mm-hmm. Um, because I've had enough thumb wars with the Grim Reaper to know what that looks like. And, um, I'd already planned my exit and, and how I was going to check out. I'd already made my mind up that I was a burden to my family. I was a burden to my friends. It's just going to be better for everybody if I'm not here. And, uh, I got a phone call <clears throat> from, one of the dads of Marine that I fought with, and he said, hey, you know, Jake, we lost Will, and uh, he, we lost Will to his own doing. And I, it, it just, it really, really hit me hard, and it just changed the course of my life because I knew that I can't, if I go, if I check out right now, the, my unit won't, we won't survive that. Hmm. You know, we're, we're too tight-knit. There's there's no way we'll survive it. And... um decided that night that okay I'm I'm going to get my shit together and I'm going to change I'm going to change everything I'm going to change all of it and you, you mentioned being a believer was this a conversation with God No at this point I'm still real pissed off at God for not mm-hmm. taking me when he had a, a great opportunity and th- that was the only the only anger I harbored was with God mm-hmm. a lot of yelling matches I didn't win one of them but there was plenty yeah. of them <laughs> yeah easy target yeah mm-hmm. easy target yeah you know, and th- who else was I going to be mad at? There was no one else for me to be mad at. I didn't, no one, no one begged me to do be in that. I volunteered to be in that position. No one owed me a damn thing. Mm. You know, period. It was there was no one else to to, yeah. to place blame. So on. yeah, so that period between checking out of the hospital or even in the hospital to hearing that your brother took his life, mm. right? So that period. I mean, what is the mindset like? Okay, now I just don't have a purpose because this is this is like a very very consistent trend. Of course, with military as they transition out, is okay. What's my purpose now? There, of course, of course, you struggle with that. But yeah. luckily, I had the drugs right there, yeah, mm-hmm. to protect me from that reality. Okay, because if you're numb, nothing matters. Right. right. Yeah. If you're numb, there is no consequences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I was just chasing that first high, and you know I suck at half-assing anything, right. you know, good or You're bad. You're an extremist yeah. anyway. Yeah. Good yeah. or bad, it's a yeah. hell of a show. Yeah, and it's that's just the way it always was. And when my CEO in Pensacola tells me, "Yo, hey Jake, what can we do for you? You're like, what do you want to do?" And I'm like, I, "It was an air wing unit in Pensacola," and I said, "Well, you can get me the hell out of this air wing, get me back with a grunt unit, get me behind a pig on a Humvee, and surround." Surrounded by people that want to kill me and leave yeah. me alone. Yeah. That's what you can do for me. And he looked at me and he knew I wasn't, I was being serious because that was, albeit dangerous, that was where I wanted to be. Yeah. And it was, um, yeah, because of that, the purpose thing. I didn't know how to be anything other than what I was. Mm-hmm. And so when he said, you know, hey, Jake, you can stay in. And this was about eight months after I got there. And he said, you know, you can stay in if you want. You know, we'll find you a job. You know, you're going to have a desk job. Clearly, you can't go back to being a grunt. And he said, or well, you can medically retire. And he said, but we'll find you a spot. It's up, up to you. And I looked at him and I said, sir, how could I, in good conscience, look at my my Marine brethren in the face being a physical fitness test waiver the rest of my Marine Corps career? Mm-hmm. How could I do that? How could I look at at my brothers and sisters with a straight face and say, I'm doing everything you're doing to maintain this title? Mm. Yeah. And, and he's, 
He gave, gave the same thing, gave me the shrug, and I said, exactly. I'll medically retire. I'm taking up a spot that someone else can use to help this gun club. Yeah. You know, I'm not I'm not providing anything that's going to kind of add any type of value or productivity to this gun club. So now, what happens? I mean, just let's just get to it. What happened that changed? Because right now, man, what you're doing right now, I yeah, mean, you so, found that purpose. So what happened to the process? Yeah, so look, the, what happened was is I decided, all right, I got to get clean. If I'm going to make any type of effective change in my life, I've got to do it with some clear-mindedness. And so I called my lead physician back in San Antonio. I said, hey, Doc, good news. This is the next morning after I got the call from my buddy's dad. And I said, good news, I'm getting off all the drugs. And she said, how are you going to do it? And I said, I'm just, I'm not going to take the first dose. And she said, I'd highly advise against that. And I was like, well, why is that? She said, because you're going to have a massive heart attack and die. Said Roger that plan okay, A is a no go. What's yeah. plan B okay. look like? Right. Because clearly my plan is not the appropriate plan. <laughs> and she said, "Well, you're going to have to come back to San Antonio. We're going to have to wean you off the drugs." That's, that is not what I wanted to hear because my body equated Bethesda and San Antonio with pain and misery. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And but I went and I did it. And got off the drugs. How long and, was that process? It was supposed to be six months, and I did it in two because wow. I ended up. Good night. I got so sick of just slowly withdrawing because that's what it was. It was a slow withdrawal. And I mean, then giving you drugs and I'll name the drug, giving you clonopin to counteract the withdrawals. And I'm like, well, God, I like that shit too. So that's, I mean, finally I was like, you know what? There's this place called the guest house across the street. And I'm just going to lock myself in the guest house, not let anybody in. And that was what I did. I got over there, I locked the door to where no one could get in. And, um, Mm. I was for about 13 to 14 days, 12, 14 days, somewhere in there. I was sick as a dog. I was sick, 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 sick. And I've never been that sick in my life before that or since that. I've never been that sick. And, and on I, top of that, now you now you're feeling again, right? Like, oh, dude, so it's uh, my whole world's upside down during this <sighs> evolution. And I um, it's the only time I ever told God, all right, I'm. That's it. I've, yeah. I'm ready when you are. Mm. And uh, that was the only time I really – and it just I just got more sick as if God to say, like, well – Not done yet. Yeah. You're mm. sorry. But yeah. <laughs> sorry, I'm not sorry. I want to make sure that you remember this. Yeah. yeah. And um, and that was it, man. I, after that, like, 13th, 14th day, I took a shower, and it was like nothing ever happened. No way. No, you just walked out, walked like out that? of it. That was it. I didn't – at the time, I'm still – you know, learning to walk, still healing. Yeah. But yeah, it was uh, like, it was literally like I'd never done a drug. And I made my mind up right then. I will never, ever, ever do a drug again. That's it. So, so okay. So, never, and I never, not since, but luckily alcohol is right there. Catch so, from a, just from a physical <laughs> standpoint, like where you're at at this point, okay. So, lost your right foot. Yeah, I, know, your... I didn't lose it. I know where it went. I, just, <laughs> I mean, your right foot's no longer with it's, you. It's yeah. not attached to. May it rest in peace. <laughs> okay, so so there. How is your left leg healing at this point? Is so that where leg, surgeries mostly yeah, focused on that? Most of surgeries, most operations were saving my left leg and my left arm. Okay, that's where majority of the operations came from because I was a guinea pig actually for a lot of these different operations to for. Because they didn't know what yeah. what can we do to save these extremities, and you know, and I, again, I mean, I'm thankful for that. If yeah. it helped, God knows how many yeah. people yeah. after the fact. That's right. Is what it, I was high. I didn't care. And anymore. of course, it's a marine that we do it on, right? 
Yeah, I mean, because in an army base. I'm going to let yeah. you know what, what you did wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and um, You want some feedback? I'll give it to you. No problem. Like, so, no problem. So, so you, at what point did it turn from personal recovery to, all right, now I want to take this and, and help when I So when I got back to Dallas, it was um, – I met up with a couple – who now very, very close friends of mine who are both Navy SEALs who started a nonprofit and uh, started doing some work with them. And, um, or as I like to call them, Flipper 1 and Flipper 2. And it's uh, no knock on the SEALs, but you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, they're water specialized, and that's kind of where it stops. Oh, and, wow. whoa, okay. Get Hello. All right. But um, it, these guys are, are family to me now, yeah. especially, and uh, have a lot of reasons i mean a lot to do with me even having the ability to sit here and do this interview and um these guys showed me that you know there was there was nothing special about my pain and suffering you know that it was not my pain and suffering is not an isolated incident and there's you know this was said without being said and it was through experience and you know me working through this with this organization and realizing just because I can't wear the cloth of the nation doesn't mean I can't serve my country. Yeah. I can't serve my fellow man, and I can't contribute to leaving this place better than I found it. Just because I can't pick up a weapon and manipulate a weapon in order to hopefully stop evil, you know, which is never gonna we're never gonna get there all the way. I can use my mind, and it's the most powerful weapon we'll, any of us will ever possess. And so I ended up working with these guys, and I worked at the Center for Brain Health uh, for a little while before I, I finally moved on to the organization called 22 Kill, and that was about five years ago. Tell us, man. Go, go. I want you yeah. to go about Tell us about 22, 22 Kill. 22 Kill. So it's a, the number of 22 stands for – Study came out in 2012 from the VA stating that on average 22 veterans die by suicide every day. You know, that's not every week or every year. That's every day. day. You know, the number since in the latest study was around 20.6. So moving in the right direction, mm. albeit too slow. Yeah. But that's where the number 22 comes from. Kill is because suicide is an act. Yeah. It is an act. You know, you are killing yourself. You are ending your own life. And that is what it is. You know, you can church it up as much as you want, but you're never going to take away from what it is. Yeah. And so that's why it's 22 kill with a gas mask and the logo. And the gas mask represents all of us wake up, probably put on a mask, go to the office, different mask, Mm -hmm. go to a lunch meeting, different mask, back to the office, different mask, go home, whole different mask, and wake up, repeat. Our thing is wake up and do you. Everybody else is taken. Throw the mask away. Right. Throw the mask away. Mm. Wake up and do you. Because awesome. at the end of the day, we all, every one of us sucks. Equally. No, yeah, hundred percent. Sure. Yeah. Every one of us are fundamentally flawed. Yeah, that's the way it is. Yeah, I love it when you say you're either lying or stupid. If you think that you're, if you Fact. don't suck. Fact. Yeah. And that's and that's just yeah. what it is. I mean, it's yeah. like it's it's having enough self awareness mm. and situational awareness to realize you have control over you, and that's where your control yeah. stops. Yeah. Period. And that's yeah. why we tell these men and women that we work with, like, look, if if you're not in love with the person looking back at you at the mirror, like, you're already beaten. Mm. You're already beat. Because you're no good to no one around you until you mm. truly are good with the person staring back at you. Because mm. everything in your life begins and ends with how you feel about right. the person looking back right. at you in the mirror. Right. Period. End of story. So, what is, I mean, we could talk about everything, but what you, Jake Schick. Yeah. 
What is your mission with 22 Kill right now? What is the goal? Uh, put very simply, it's uh, just to change the world. Um, specifically speaking, when it comes to matters of the mind and matters of uh, the soul, because it's, you know, mind, body, spirit, it's all connected. And for me, if we can have the reason we work with warriors, first responders, law enforcement officers, and their families, you have to treat the family unit. Yeah. You just have to. Yeah. And it's it's vital. And we're, I'll tell you very bluntly what, what, the, what the approach with the vision is, is that if we utilize this group of people as the tip of the spear for when it comes to mental wellness, odds are that there's going to be other groups, other people that gravitate towards that type of thought, that, that feeling or finding victory in their vulnerability and refusing to be a hostage of their pride in order to get well and live well. And we're utilizing those, that those groups that as a group to, is the tip of the spear to create effective change uh, cr- across the world when it comes to matters mm-hmm. of the mind. And that's what, that's the goal because every great movement started with a group of people, every great movement. Right. And our, our, my, our thing is, look, it, you know, as kids, we all played, you know, cops and robbers or, you know, played firefighter, soldier, whatever. Well, if you can have these people that are these alpha personalities go, Hey, look, we're here to tell you it's okay to not be okay. That's 100% okay. Mm. And that post-traumatic stress is nothing more than a normal reaction to an otherwise abnormal situation. situation. It's right. doesn't yeah. mean anything's wrong with you. It means you're completely normal. Mm. And I don't give a shit what, the, as my grandmother called it, the idiot box, the TV, tells you that it is. Right. Stop being so easily influenced. Yeah. God forbid you do your own homework and make, make an educated decision. And the proof I can tell you the majority of people in this country don't is because we're $20 trillion in debt and climbing. Mm-hmm. That should be a problem because our kids are going to pay for it. Ultimate goal, like ultimately what I want to do, change the world in the end. It doesn't – what people think of me is none of my business. And so I, uh, there was a time where I really did care where now I just could give a shit less. Mm-hmm. Because history is going to be my judge, and mm-hmm. the reason I won't care then is because I'll be dead. Mm-hmm. Right. My ultimate goal is when I die, when my two sons are standing over my grave, I want them to look at each other with a little bit of panic and go, "We have a lot of work to do, dude. Put the bar way up there." That's what I, I want. Yeah, that. man. That's that's, awesome. that's my goal. If I can achieve that, nothing else matters. Because just like when we're over there and we're fighting, look, freedom and glory and all of that stuff is great. Okay, It's what makes books and movies. Mm. I was not worried about anything else than the guy to my left and my right. Everything else was secondary to that. Freedom, glory, all of it. None of it, nothing mattered more than the man to my left and the man to my right and their well-being. Because God forbid I die. But even worse than that, God forbid I do something stupid enough to have one of them killed. Yeah. There is something about the modern day warrior that we've we've progressed so much to be effective warfighters, to fight these three D war environments and utilize these tools and these weapons that make us untouchable. I mean I can tell you right now, China, Russia, whatever. You want to go toe-to-toe, you're going to get your shit kicked in. Mm-hmm. And I can guarantee that all the way to the bank, 
over and over and over. And people are like, oh, well, numbers. And I'm like, it's not about that. It's about mm. effectiveness. That's right. And so no one's more well-trained than we are. But where did we go wrong where the time is of Spartans? Okay, and we've all worked with, played with, fought with some pretty badass individuals, mm. all of us. Mm. You know, none of us that we know ourselves worked with, fought with, are more badass than a Spartan. Let's just be honest, okay? How come after every major battle as a Spartan, it was mandatory to mourn your losses for an hour? Mandatory. Hug, cry, sing, mourn your losses for an hour. Yet now, I can't even tell you about any demons that I'm struggling with because it's a sign of weakness. Right. Mm -hmm. Explain to me what's happening. How have we regressed so badly that I've buried to date, I've buried 30 of my personal friends who've died by suicide. I know eight that were killed in combat. Everything we do at 22 Kill is specifically focused on mental wellness. Matters of the mind, period. Period. Whether it's one of our traditional programs, non-traditional programs, it is all centered around mental wellness. Mm. Because the only way we can honor those who can't come after us, or those who have come before us and those that are going to come after us, is by living well. There is no other way. I don't give a crap how many awards you have, how many trophies. I don't, ha- I don't care how many dust-collecting items you've got. Unless you live well, and by that I mean you are able to feel joy the way it was intended to be felt. Yeah. If you don't have that ability, you need to do more soul work. Mm. You know where the joy comes from, man, and listening to the story? The joy is not about you. Mm-mm. The joy is protecting your brother's. Seriously. Yeah. No, of That's course. where the joy is. The joy is not mm. like, well, I got this reward. I got this. The, the joy that, is that, matter, man. Yeah. Yeah, I took it to save my boys. Yeah. Mm. That's the joy. Absolutely. Yes. And that's why when people ask me, hey, Jake, you know, knowing what you know now, same outcome, same operations, the same everything, would you do it again? Absolutely, unequivocally, 100% yes. Mm. Zero hesitation answers yes every single time for that mm. reason. For that reason and because I believe that everyone in this room is worth fighting, bleeding, and dying for. My uncle believed it. My grandfather believed it. Millions of people that came before me believed it. And when I signed on that dotted line, that meant this is a check payable up to and including my life. Mm. Who the hell am I to say, hell no, I wouldn't do it again. That sucked. No shit, it sucked. Mm -hmm. But. I've got to do some amazing things. I've got to Man. experience. Yeah. Yes, you have. I mean, it's one of those things where you know, there's dumb say there. Oh, I would say dumb. I mean, it's traditional. There's a saying in the Marine Corps: "Pain's temporary, glory's forever." Chicks dick scars, <laughs> and so. The, but it is to a degree. It is the warrior ethos that we all carry because every one of us is a warrior in our own right. Mm. Doesn't mean you have to carry a weapon and send lead downrange. Every one of us is a warrior by our own right. That's why most people talk about like, oh man, because I do so much public speaking. Yeah. You know, we do public speaking. Well, I couldn't, I couldn't do public speaking of facing all those people. I'd be scared to death. I'm like, of course you're supposed to be scared to death. It's in your DNA. Mm-hmm. Well, what are you talking about? Yeah. Back in the day, Dude, anyway. I'm talking like pre-will. If you had your back to a bunch of people and you're facing a bunch of people, your odds are you're about to die, really. <laughs> you know, you're supposed to be nervous. That's the point. Yeah, It's it's feeling that emotion and doing it anyway. Mm. Love that. That's what se- separates the doers 
from the the non-doers from mm. or is the keyboard warriors it's real yeah. easy to be tough behind a keyboard yeah yeah you know it's real yeah. easy i mean there's tons of takeaways from this and, and what you just said is probably my biggest takeaway is you were scared many 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 times but you did it anyway that's it and and i tell tell guys all the time and by guys I mean men and women you do not have to, have to placate the societal mm. expectation in order to achieve greatness you do not have to abide by everyone else's left and right lateral limits in, tor- in, in order to achieve your goals. Mm. Stop being fed that crap. Yeah. Stop. Find conviction in who Man. you are and go do what you do. The only person that's going to stop you is the person looking at you in the mirror. Yeah. Like, no, what anyone thinks about you or your efforts or what you're doing is none of your business. Yeah. Man, I need you to be my alarm clock. Every <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, one thing I want to comment on that, that you've hit on over and over is is the transparency, the vulnerability, and that doesn't yeah. make you less of a man. No, and because what that does to me and what I'm hearing from you is. When, when someone comes out of an intense situation, intense occupation like that you've been in, right, and you go, you know, being isolated is the most dangerous thing ever. And when you're tough and you have this hard exterior on, you create that isolation, right? But Absolutely. being vulnerable doesn't mean that you're weak. All that does is it invites community so that we can be strong together. I mean, the core One tribe, of, one fight. Right? You just said it. And Dude, that is the, it. It and, is the game-changing Ingredient that not just this country, this yeah. world yeah. needs. Yeah, because you brought up earlier purpose too. Like, man, you know, where was the transition? Your purpose, you lost that purpose. Because we've all felt it. Yeah, everyone in this building. I don't care if you played professional football. I don't care if you were a warrior mm. in, in combat. I, everyone has felt it. Yeah, everyone has gone through that. I believe to every, with every fiber of my being that we all have two objectives from the time we're born to the time we die. All of us have the same two objectives. I don't give a crap where you're from, what corner of the world, socioeconomic status, ethnicity, religion, doesn't matter. It's all irrelevant. I think from the time you're born to the time you die, all we're supposed to do is love and be loved. That's it. And everything in between is filler. Yeah. Everything in between is bullshit. Love and be loved. And then people say, like, well, Jake, why does life get so hard? Human element, free will. Yeah. Because we're masters of making it hard. We're masters at making it hard. Think about how much easier is it to be depressed, angry, upset than it is to feel pure joy, happiness, yeah. be positive. How much easier is it? Because you, we, by design, we have so much more to draw from yeah. on this side than we do the positive side. Because that's how we're built. That's mm-hmm. how we're mechanic. Look, yeah. look around us. Everything, all the news, negative. 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 Everything, everything is negative. And it's like, look, you do not have to be a product of your environment. Mm. That who said because you're from where live here means that you are supposed to be X, Y, or Z. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Who said who? Do not allow yourself to be a product of your environment. Mm. Rise above it. Yeah, what's the one talk. voice? The one. The, what's the the mirror? The person you're looking at. That's the only person that's that it. can tell you can and or can't. We are, that's it. And we're masters 
of making ourselves believe we yeah. have control of so yes. many more things than we think we do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We don't. Man, you right. need to keep spreading that message, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, the message we got to have him back to... on too. Yes, yes. Look, yes. Man, there's so so many more layers that we yes. could. Yeah, because oh. we, we, we haven't even talked about the movies, bro. Yeah, we, uh, I mean, uh, we haven't the... even talked about you know. Oh uh, yeah, man, you know, American Sniper and the Mule. What else? Yeah. What, what's the other one? Uh, stars Born. Stars. stars yeah. Don't, yeah. Let, don't forget the Stars Born. So you're a movie star. Do I listen? I think a movie. I think I think that's probably a drastic <laughs> uh, probably got a little carried away on that slow your roll on that description i do i do i do want to take just a second here to make sure you know that you uh can speak to anybody that's listening right now mm-hmm. that may be going through some isolation maybe going through some some purpose issues some mental health like that is maybe contemplating taking their own life. Yeah. I want you to just take a couple seconds and just talk to those those people and then give them some resources that they can reach out to 22kill, which is 22kill, the number, dot com, 22kill. Yep. Uh, but just speak to that really quick so yes. anybody listening. Absolutely. First and foremost, the saying, hope springs eternal, I know it sounds cliche, but it is so true. Mm-hmm. And what I'll first do is I'm going to explain why people get caught up where they are and where I've been, mm-hmm. where I think at some point all of us have been, everyone listening, because every one of us understands pain and suffering, every single, especially mentally, mm-hmm. every single one of us. Whether you'll talk about it or not, it's a whole different thing. Right. But let me explain to majority of the people that are listening that are in that place is because ultimately you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. You know that you are in a cesspool of shit right now, but that's where you find your comfortability. That's why you choose to stay there. Even though you can see the person outside of that, and this person that could be a prosperous, productive person that could go on and do something to change this world and make it a better place, you know how uncomfortable it's going to be. And just the fear of the uncomfortability is dictating your decision-making to get out of your own cesspool of shit. Period. End of story. That's the facts. Mm -hmm. If you're not willing to get uncomfortable and you're not willing to to make yourself get out of your of your cycle of destruction, because only you can do it. Only you can do it. You're the only person that can help you. People say all the time, like, oh, what you guys are doing at 22 is so great. You have these programs. You're saving all these lives. I'm like, whoa, let me stop you. No, we're not. We're giving people tools to save themselves, period. Mm. There's a God. We're not him. Mm. Let's be very clear about it. They're doing the work. Only you can do the work. Okay, it's like there's an old uh, poker saying, because I used to play Texas Hold'em way too much. Well, we know you're a good player, so based off that interaction. Mm -hmm. But there's an old saying. In, in Texas Hold'em, that you know, all you need is a chip and a chair. That's all you need. It doesn't mean, okay, that we are not all equal when it comes to finances and quality of life, and the, that does not determine that does not determine who you are as a human being, emotionally and spiritually. Because all the stuff is just that stuff. That doesn't dictate who you are. You have to be willing to say, I'm worth living well, regardless of the demons from your past. You have to believe you are worthy of living well. 
Because I'm telling you right now, a lot of the people that we talk to, if they end up in my office, it's probably not good because I'm not a psychologist, but it's because it's probably tough love time. I was going to say the, the honest conversation. When I look at them and I say, the only problem you've got right now is that everyone else around you loves you more than you're willing to love yourself. Mm. That's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Because when they come to my office and they say, well, I don't know why my husband doesn't love me or my wife or my boyfriend or my girlfriend, or my son, my daughter, aunt, uncle, et cetera, et cetera, won't love me the way I love them. And I'll say, look, the fact that you expect someone to love you the way that you're not willing to love yourself is the height of hypocrisy. Until you can own that, you just want attention and it doesn't matter how you get it, good, bad, mm-hmm. or indifferent. That's it. And so until you're willing to work one of these programs and go talk to one of these professionals that knows what to tell you, mm-hmm. you need to get out of my office because you're taking up good oxygen. <laughs> and you go work one of these programs for a few yeah. weeks, you come back to my office, and we'll both have a conversation yeah. that we both can grow from. You know, yeah. yeah. Till yeah. then, I'm not going to feed your victim mentality. Mm-hmm. No. Because every day we wake up, you're a victim or a victor. Yeah. Period. And it's a decision you get to make every single day. And we all go through that. Man. Every single day. Yeah. Person. So true. I'm not sitting here tell you, telling you that, well, look, if you get out of your cesspool and you, and you get uncomfortable, that your life's going to be rainbows, roses, lollipops, and unicorns all the time. It's not reality. You're going to have bad days. It's by design. Mm. It's by design. It's not meant to be hunky-dory all the time because very few of us grow when everything's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So true. That's right. Very few of us. Well, man, hey. It was a hell of a show, bro. Holy yes. smokes, and look, man. we ain't done with you, so don't don't yeah, act like no. you can go somewhere. I, I know how to find you. Yeah, no, <laughs> I know no. how to find you. Especially, and you're speaking at our retreat, the ESRP retreat. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Get you. no like, doubt. I'll, Tyler will pay you. Um, <laughs> I was gonna say, but, <laughs> our mayor may not be an agent. You have to go through. <laughs> but Jake, man, we really appreciate it, man. No, Again, we're, we're gonna you, have you back on the show because there's so much more. Yeah, uh, to to go through with you, man. But. Again, Jake Schick. Jake, where can we find you? Look, you can... Uh, I heard you're a social media guru, and you oh, spend most of your time I living through you Instagram, quite yeah. a bit the IG life, <laughs> TikTok. And I, TikTok just, I, the, I just I mentally killed everyone in this room. Just now. Right between like, the eyes. Every single one yeah. of you. I hate social media. Oh, brother. Hey, like here, don't, don't try... And draw. Don't try and find soul food on social media. Oh, please, please preach, please, please. I, I'm on the same page as you, okay, and, and I understand that. Like, okay, look, it's a necessary evil. Like, yeah. there's there's influence. You can. I, I I understand the logic behind it, right? Yeah. But my whole thing is when you live through pictures or videos, and you're trying to put your best. It's exactly what you're talking about, right? Yeah. It's that isolation that I'm going to create this protective shield, and I'm not going to be vulnerable because I'm going to want. I want everyone to see what I want them to see, not what I'm really feeling inside. Right. That's the mask. I'm, just, I'm sorry. I'm going. sorry. Dude, but like, you and I are 100% okay. same page. Okay. And I know exactly who told you that information. That I, <laughs> yes. I, I can't stand it. Right? I know it serves a purpose, but yeah. please, please, please try and use it for good. Remember, yes. everything you read on a on a social platform, take it at face value. Yes. It is not gospel. Take it at face value. I, and, that's, and you know what? Odds are that's not their life all the time. Uh, true. No. So okay. true. So, so just, having said that, are you at Jake Chick? <laughs> uh, it's, you know what? Here's the deal. Here's the deal. If you can Google me and find it, good yeah, on you. If you good. don't, whatever. But yeah. they can't find you at 22 Kill. And I yes. want to make sure. If yes. you want to, that. if you yeah. want to do some soul work, 
And you really do, if you're willing to exercise some demons that have been lying dormant because that's the only way you're going to evict them is mm-hmm. wake them up, exercise them in order to get them the hell out, yeah. go to 22kill.com. Okay. okay? Absolutely. Because if you're following someone on social media in order to save your soul, yeah. you start again. Yeah. yeah. And then one other thing, if someone hears this, right, and maybe they've they've overcome some demons and, they've, mm-hmm. and they're connected to this and say, I just want to support, I want to help. Absolutely. I want to. I want to donate. What What can they do? You've got a shop and you're wearing a ring yes. right now. Uh, on a ring. Yeah. It's, it's look. Here's the thing. If you buy any of our merchandise, the ring or the t-shirts, hats, stickers, whatever, that goes to, to help the overhead. Yeah. Period. In a story. I mean, we're a nonprofit. We have to pinch the pennies. Yeah. It's just mm-hmm. it's what we have to yeah. do. If people tell me all the time, like, hey, Jake, if I, how can I help? How can I get involved? How can I look? And it's, I'm going to give you an answer that is the same answer I give everybody. Yeah. All of us possess three things of. of of value, every single person, some more than others, okay, some less than others, time, talent, and treasure. Yep. Every one of us have those three things. Everybody from every corner of the globe has time, talent, and treasure. If you're not willing to sacrifice some of one of those three things, you don't want to help your talking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay? Because sacrifice and service are synonymous. You cannot do one without the other. Right. And if you're not willing to sacrifice some of one of those three things, mm. shut your mouth. Yeah. I do not and will not probably make time for you. Right. Mm. And let me let me say this, and this is, you know, uh, one of the guys we work with says this, and, and I'm guilty of it because I want to donate time and I want to, like, commit to that and I want to serve and I want to do all this. I want to do that, right? But you're in the nonprofit space. There's plenty of people that are willing to donate your time. If you have the treasure aspect, I would highly encourage you because here's the deal. That is a huge impact that you can of make. Course. So yeah. you don't have to feel guilty not going and serving and, you know, packing lunch boxes and, and, you know, going and serving food on Thanksgiving and all these things, right? Give treasure because yep. that is what makes the engine run. That yep. is the fuel for nonprofits that can actually go. It they have the money. people. They have the people to yeah. go serve. Like there's no shortage of that. There is a shortage of people willing to give the money to do what needs to be done in our community. Yeah, I agree. And look, and thank you for saying that because I mean, people will say like, "Hey, what do you do with uh, with some of them?" Well, I'll tell you. Well, you know, why don't these guys, these men and women, just go to the VA? And I'm like, look, we have we get referrals from the VA yeah. mm-hmm. because the VA is already overworked, understaffed. Yeah. It's just the way it is. The VA and the government knows they need the non-governmental agencies. Yeah. They need the nonprofits in order to pick up where they can't. Mm-hmm. And that's just – it's okay. Yeah. It's not a bad thing, all right? Mm-hmm. Not all VAs are bad. Not all – it's not – we have to start approaching things – without the self-interest, self-game mindset. Yeah. If you take those goggles off and you're like, hey, look, I just want to fight with it for the greater good, no, selfish, no, no self-interest, mm-hmm. no self-game. I, I just want to give of myself whatever that looks like. I'm telling you, you don't even have to go pack lunches. Or you don't even have to – I'm telling you this. If you want to serve, you want to help fight the greater good, and you want to leave this place better than you found it, you want to set an example for your kids, honestly, what a real man or real woman looks like, wake up. And unapologetically do you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unapologetically be yes, yourself, yeah. knowing that it's by the, you are who you are because that is how you were made. Mm-hmm. And let them know that it is okay for them to be them. And yeah. that what anyone else thinks about you doesn't matter. Wake up and go out of your way in order to live well. Yeah. Hey. Drop the mic. Right Drop there. The mic. Yeah. <laughs> unapologetically be you. Yeah. Because that's yeah. all you can control. Yeah. No, love no, no one else can define who you are. I love that's, it. that's what I, I always love. I love speaking to, rather I'm speaking to 
400 roughnecks at Exxon or I'm speaking to a football team like it's I love being able to see the mind like the mindset shift yeah you know because I get to walk in and see this change in mentality because I can sit there and tell them like hey just because I love you just because I'll sit here and look at you and tell you I love you that does not mean I will not fight you Mm -hmm. (laughs) like do not make that mistake I'm not doesn't take away from me being a man or me, you know, being a warrior or me, look, if you're going to love, do it all the way. Yeah, yeah. love hard. Do man. it unconditionally yeah. knowing you're going to sure. get hurt. At some point, you're going to get hurt yeah. and be okay with it. Accept yeah. he is. And that's what we're all after. And people say, it. yo, what are you after? I just need people to get to where they can accept he is. It is what it is, and you have no control over it. Mm. Yeah. I love it. Well, Jake Schick. Ladies and gentlemen, and, and thank you again for tuning in to the Darren Witchin Show. We'll get back with Jake and some more. And I know we have anything else, Tyler, on on hand. Yeah. So again, we're gonna we're gonna dig back into this because there's a lot to process here. I mean, there's so much wisdom that came from this this conversation, uh, and there's a lot that we can actually do to to dig into this and and really understand exactly what was because there was so much information. Like literally, we could go on for another four, four or five hours. hours. Exactly. Easy, easy, yeah. right? Uh, but just stick around, uh, come back, listen to us, and 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 I'm gonna go against me, and, and I'm gonna let. Ben do it just so I'm not a total hypocrite, but like, how can you find us? How can you uh, hear more content like this? We're going to be releasing, you know, the, the highlights of, of this conversation so that, that you can, you know, not listen to all two and a half hours of this and you can just get like the great things. But I mean, there's so much that, that people can learn. And I think from a, a society and a culture, like the mindset that you just shared right now can help so much. It can help so many people and like not chasing all of these empty dreams and just focus on you, be you, do you, because now we will be a better country because of that. Yeah. Uh, on Instagram at Darren Woodson show, YouTube or the Darren Woodson show, uh, Facebook, same thing. Um, subscribe, share with your friends. Mm-hmm. Let's make this thing big. So really it has nothing to do with Darren Woodson. It's the Darren Woodson show. The Darren I just lost Woodson my voice show. Today, big fella. <laughs> hey, let's. Hey, we did. We did overlook that silky smooth, raspy voice over there from yeah, uh, from D. Woody. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks again for tuning in.